What's up, man? What's going on? Hello, everybody, and welcome <laughs> to another episode of the Left on Red podcast. Yeah. Should tell people that's what they're listening to. Yep. Yeah. That's us. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's probably honestly we probably don't even need to like apologize for episode delays because that's like our mo. But um, yeah. you know, it whatever. Won't be in twenty twenty three though. Yeah, we're in we're in twenty twenty three now, and yeah. it's a new new year, new us. It's a new dawn. New year, new new LU. Yeah, Um, Lou. But yeah, so Evan's now no longer uh, diseased, which is good. You feel okay? Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, in in the year that I will think back fondly on is the year I got like four respiratory infections. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, uh, famously got pneumonia in the summer, and uh, you know I've kind of had like still some like simmering residuals with that, and then I just got blasted with COVID. Oh, uh, last week, yeah, which just fucking came into my shit, just fucking eat Snickers, leave garbage, fuck my whole asshole up. Uh, just came in with like fucking like dredged everything out of my lungs. Came in with like street sweepers, and uh, not even kidding, feel like the best I felt in like months now. There you go. Um, Here, and uh, even like, even my asthma has gotten better <laughs> since it. Like I mean, I was I was hitting the inhaler hard uh, while while I. Yeah, what are, what are you doing? You've disappeared my, uh, from the screen. Yeah, my uh, thing fell down. Um, yeah. Wasn't asthma like a relatively new thing for you anyway? Yeah, so, well, I had pneumonia when I was a baby. And I guess the, uh, well, I never knew this, but my mom told me after I had pneumonia this year that I had that when I was a baby and that the doctor said I was likely to develop it at some point in life. Mm. Asthma. Uh, it never happened. I have actually quite strong lungs. Um but yeah, not anymore, again, dude. <laughs> well, it's actually still pretty good, but not quite, not quite what it was. But uh, yeah, after getting it for the second time, I just like fucking. Uh, I've had like pretty bad asthma since then, and then yeah, I, mean, I was hitting the inhaler hard on COVID. But since then, like I haven't used it today. I didn't use it. I think. Oh, I guess I used it once today. Mm. Uh, I only had to use it yesterday after I got out of the gym. Um, I didn't even have to use it while I was there. So cool. That actually feels a little bit better. Um, but yeah, so, uh, I think my voice probably sounds slightly different a bit, but you sound pretty normal to me, actually. Uh, That's good. Maybe your like internal resonance is off, but like, you you don't sound super sick. I mean, yeah. Yeah. It sounds different in my head. Mm -hmm. I think that's also just cause like, God damn, dude, you cough hard when you have COVID. Holy shit, bro. Mm -hmm. Like my voice was just like completely shot for a couple days. Yeah. It's that shit sucks. Yeah, sucks ass, bro. <laughs> but you had it. Like there was like a thirty-six hour period where I felt like I was dying, but then other than that, it was pretty okay. Cool. Yeah, well, I'm glad you made it. Thank you. Me too. This would have been. Uh, well, let's. I was about to say this would have been a lot harder to do without you, but let's just be honest. Uh, if you died, I would quit this show. <laughs> I wouldn't keep making this. You know how yeah. sometimes people be like, "Well, it's what he would have wanted." Like maybe that is what you would have wanted. I wouldn't do it. I, but you, it's not what you would have wanted. <laughs> I wouldn't fucking do it. I would yeah, stop like, doing this. I'm not running errands for my dead friend. <laughs> like, <fuck that. laughs> I'll uh, keep his memory alive in uh, some other way. <laughs> in some other personal, private way, maybe yeah. with some other friends, but not with you. Yeah, you uh, freaks. I'll think about him every time I'm looting his house for all of his cash and goods. <laughs> Yeah, the change on the table and seltzers. Yeah. Um, So it's a new year. It's a new year. Yeah, and we've been doing year three of the Left Unread podcast. Not yet. It'll be year three. 
Well, this is the calendar year. We've been in existence. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Valentine's Day, I think, or shortly thereafter, we've never really decided is our... Well, we have decided. You just keep forgetting. It's like February 16th, I believe. Is the February 16th. But it's easier for me to remember Valentine's Day. <laughs> I know. We've, I've, we've had this exact conversation on episodes before. I know. I know. <laughs> it's uh so soon we'll be in our third e- actual year but this is our third calendar year yeah so thank you guys for sticking with us and yep. uh yeah we we went evan requested that i go back and get some figures yes uh do you want to each what do our own independent figures well yeah well i mean obviously i don't i don't know what yours ended up being but uh, i did want to i did want to uh go back and just kind of look at the year that was for left unread mm-hmm. uh even though we only released like 26 episodes what 26 yeah yeah so we released half as many as we did the year before Mm -hmm. uh i personally uh and this is not including guest episodes um but uh personally in words that i prepared for episodes i had forty three thousand. uh how many did you have fifty four thousand three hundred and eighty nine wow yeah not 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 including this this episode well yeah this is for but i wrote this last year this was for last year but i didn't include it yeah, um, but yeah, so we had 26 new episodes, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, it, I always, like, when I listen to, like, other podcasts, like, I think uh, I saw, like, Agent, or listened to an Agent Napoleon episode, and they talked about, like, millions of downloads he had in the air, and I was like, we're not even close to that point, but yeah. we are several orders of magnitude lower, but um, we had about 13.3 thousand downloads in uh, 2022. Um, the majority of them came after we had Jimmy Fallon gong on. So we got the, the Jimmy bump on that one Mm -hmm. and we've steadily grown since then, which is nice. Uh, we did finally take down the last United U S states. We're in all states. We had a few, a few really hanging, uh, hanging on for not listening to left unread, but we finally are in all 50 United States as well as Puerto Rico. Uh, we are in every single Canadian province except for Prince Edward Island. <laughs> so if you guys have any uh, friends in Prince Edward Island, any of our Canadian listeners, the vast, uh, or not the vast majority, but the, uh, our most populous province is Ontario, um, which is uh, right near Prince Edward Island. So if you, well, actually it's not, it's quite a bit away. But we also have Quebec, uh, which is our third most populous province. So if any of you Quebecois, of any Prince Edward Island friends, please tell them to listen to us. I doubt that we'll ever get a download in none of it. Northwest Territories or Yukon, there's like... Why do you doubt that? There's like 50,000 people total. Yeah, (laughs) well, I want want one of them in between eating muktuk and fucking... (laughs) Uh, killing seals and, to, yeah, and like to check out Left Unread. Well, maybe what we should do, maybe what we should do is get their interest by doing something relevant. We should capture them. We, we should, should do. We should capture. We should do the, an episode on the potentially like, one listener between the three life life in subarctic get. regions or or yeah. something. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but I uh, to go back. Uh, our most populous state continues to be Massachusetts, but actually California is uh really nipping at its heels now uh which is that's kind of like a sort of in my own head a litmus test for when we've like kind of like really started to make it is when it's not just your home state that's the most listened to state but Mm -hmm. rather the most populous state in the country like once those sorts of um small sample size uh variances even out oh is you know something i look forward to 
Uh, Australia, uh, the only two places where in Australia that we're not yet in are Northern Territory, so boo to you, <laughs> and Tasmania, so, you know, get on that. Um, but yeah, uh, and for the countries that we are most uh, downloaded in, uh, as you might expect, number one, I think is like something like 80%, maybe even more than that, is the, the United States, uh, followed by, well, if you can believe it, the Anglophone countries, United Kingdom, Australia, and Canada, which Australia actually just recently overtook Canada. So to our Canadian friends, please, you know, uh, you're you're lagging behind the Aussies. And do you really want that? Uh, side note, Aussies, thank you. And then uh, our fifth most listened to country is Germany, uh, which also not surprising considering, you know, there's a lot of English speakers in Germany. <laughs> yeah, they're <clears throat> smarter than us. <laughs> yeah, um... But yeah, so anyway, uh, we oh, have something like... Oh, there's one last thing, though, that... I, so I don't know. Did you add up how many pages you wrote? No, not pages. So I well, did only because... You more pages than me, because just you use the font that you use is, like, a lot bigger. Uh, okay, yeah, that's a weird thing to preface with. I wasn't saying no, it to saying, compare to oh. you or try to beat you in anything, but oh, yeah. no no worries. Yeah, just so everyone knows, Evan would have more pages if he used the same font as me. No, mm. Well, no, I wouldn't, because you had more words. Um, But... <laughs> No, so, <laughs> fuck, man. Let's I also use 11-point font, so it's not like yeah, I'm writing a giant font. font. So, uh, but I wrote around 195 pages. That's pretty good. Which is almost as many pages as the Gallic War. Oh, my nice. copy of it. So I've almost compiled my own commentarii de left on redensis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's all. That's all. Okay. Wasn't trying to flex. <laughs> yep. Um, but yeah, so uh, 76% of our total downloads actually came last year. Um, <clears throat> so uh, I want to see uh, I want to see us at least double again this year, but I think we might actually do quite a bit better than that, uh, considering the trajectory that we've been taking. So anyway, yeah. all of this to say... Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it, and yeah. we uh, <clears throat> we will put out more content this year than we have before. And uh, yeah, hopefully we can uh, also get to a point where you guys can start giving back to us, <laughs> uh, which I think we're getting pretty close to. So yeah, um, that's awesome. Thank you guys for listening. And uh, I guess without further ado, let's do Julius Caesar Part Three. <laughs>
Yeah. Okay. Um, so that I think that was a really good spot to have our theme music. So hopefully you just heard it. Uh, and um, yes, welcome back, folks. We are, as promised, actually going to wrap up one of my series for once. Uh, <laughs> and that, of course, is our exploration of Julius Caesar's Gallic Wars. Um, so we our are going 12 to... 12-month sojourn. Yes. Um, <laughs> which is still not as long as it took him. At least I didn't do it in eight years, you know? Yeah. But uh, so I'm not going to do a big recap of last week. I mean, a few things might come up, but um obviously well not last week last episode so you should i don't necessarily (laughs) think you have to listen to julius caesar part one i mean there's a lot of backstory there but the gallic wars itself is really contained within uh episode 72 commentaria celts and conquest and this episode 73 um if you want to go back and listen to episode whatever i forget what it is i'll find it and insert it here and post uh that episode on Julius Caesar is sort of more of a prequel, and you can definitely listen to that as well. We never get mad about you listening to old episodes. Um, but really, to, to grasp this one, you should definitely listen to episode 72 before you listen to this, um, just to get an idea of where we're leaving off. Because I'm not going to – I have so much to talk about, and we're yeah. not going to – we're not we're not going back. We're not – folks, this train has already left the station. Yeah, and it's fully – it's headed for a specific trajectory, which is uh, the total and complete conquest of those upstarts in Gaul. Yes. While, while it may be a time machine, it actually only goes forward at the exact same rate as time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It doesn't go backwards. It doesn't. It, yeah, you can't go back. Although yeah, we kind of are going back. But by going forward. Yeah. As we progress through time, forward through time, we will... Mm-hmm. So... Uh, <laughs> So, anyway, uh, where to begin? Uh, I think a great place to begin... The beginning? F- this is the beginning, which is in the middle. Uh, it's 55 BCE, and uh, suffice it to say, Caesar's been absolutely wrecking shit in Gaul for the past several years. Uh, and he's noticed that his enemies, uh, they've been receiving supplies and reinforcements from Germania, Germania, Germany, in the Ooh. east, and from the Isle of Britannia in the northwest. And so... Where we pick up our story in medias res is with Caesar plotting to do some freaky shit in both directions, both to the east Mm -hmm. and to the west. Um, So our story resumes, as I said, it's 55 BCE, and what an interesting year it is shaping up to be. Tell me how interesting. (laughs) When you read the commentarii de Bello Gallico, uh, one of the first things you notice is that the way the chapters are divided, uh, or rather they're divided into books because he released them separately. Um... And they're marked by the year during which the events within occurred, uh, marked by Caesar in AUC, or Ab Urbe Condita. Uh, This roughly translates to years since the city was founded. Uh, And that was the method by which the Romans described uh, what year it was. So I'm telling you that these events took place in 55 BCE, but according to Caesar, it's now the year 699 AUC, or 699 years since the legendary founding of Rome by Romulus and Remus. Yes, very confusing when you're playing the Paradox Interactive game, um, Imperator Rome. Do they do it in AUC? Yeah, and you have to keep going. Interesting. Yeah. Um, That's also only half of the method that they used for distinguishing the date, uh, especially during the Republican period. The second part was to note which two men were serving as consul in that year. So this is where it gets interesting. of Caesar. uh, Because guess which two lucky sons of guns got elected in 55 BCE, back in Rome. Do you have any guesses? Oh, me? I thought you were t- saying that's fancy because I can see your notes. 
Uh, yeah, but d- pretend you couldn't. Who would you guess? Ooh, 55. Pretend you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, it's definitely two of the three triumvirate. Is it Pompey and Caesar? Oh, no, you idiot. Ah! Ah! <laughs> um... That's right, guys and gals and non-binary pals. The other two-thirds of Caesar's little clique, the Triumvirate, are elected, but not Caesar, as Evan so foolishly guessed. Fuck! What an idiot. Um, So that's Gnaeus Pompeius Magnus and Marcus Licinius Crassus, or Pompey and Crassus, which, as I said in episode 72, I'm using the fucking, you know, uh, William Gibson names for a lot of these people. That's just what most people know. Um... So Caesar's been romping through Gaul at this point for several years, and words of his success against the formidable read divided and relatively weaker, uh, Gallic foes have been streaming into Rome, keeping him firmly planted in the public eye and imagination. This being arguably the main purpose of the entire enterprise to begin with, uh, Caesar is likely quite pleased at this point to hear that he's like the literal talk of the town back in Rome. Uh, So when he finds out that his two closest buddies are in charge back home for the year, he was likely actually kind of sort of vexed Uh, because you see while it's true that caesar pompey and crassus were political partners and they generally had one another's backs it's also important to remember that at this point caesar is still far and away the least famous of the three Uh, he's the junior partner he's uh he's the little guy they keep him around because they think it's cute um, they need a third guy initially to kind of check and balance each other. Remember, Pompey is, yeah. you know, far and away Rome's most decorated living general, and Crassus is uh, the richest human alive at that point, and and possibly uh, in history, he's definitely in the running. Um, and this is still Rome after all. So while they might have partnered with Caesar, they also definitely had a vested interest in making sure that he he remained in his place. Nobody wants yeah. to be overtaken by some upstart you know, Julian, who's from a dirty family, even though they're old, they're poor, and he's got yeah. plebeian stock, and he's just not... He's got he's got plebeian close kin yeah, as it's, well. It's, he's, he's not... It's a bad, bad situation. He can sit um, with us, but he's not one of us, is sort of yeah. what they're saying. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he, he is, uh, he's been granted a seat on the council, mm-hmm. but he has not been granted the rank of master. Of, uh, <laughs> yeah, a Jedi master, yes. Um, but yeah. uh, I, I do also want to say, uh, one thing that I really like about Crassus is how much of a, uh, just like a loser he is and like fails at literally everything but being rich he is. He really yeah. is like, this is really just a trope that exists throughout history. You know, you can get really rich, but that doesn't mean that you're smart or good at anything other than being a, a money grubbing whore. Yeah. <laughs> and that's like, like this dude, like any, every time, like he's super, he's kind of like a, Kind of like Elon, you know, where he has all of this money, and then anytime he tries to use it to do anything to get any sort of real, um, I don't know, you know, any sort of like real, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Stuff? So, like, accomplishments. He just falls flat on his face. Right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> this is not a pro Elon podcast. I don't know if you guys could have guessed that from. Yeah. <laughs> from our past uh, <laughs> subjects and and ramblings but Almost hopefully we're not episode. surprising anybody <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't think anybody's going wait a i mean man. it's definitely like low-hanging fruit i feel like we don't talk about him that much because like yeah. i don't know it's like not funny and like, other people dunking on him way better and more yeah. timely than we are but yeah uh, <laughs> he sucks <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he can suck my fucking. But that's dick. a that's actually oh. an apt comparison because Crassus is definitely yeah. sort of the thing. Now, Crassus, uh, one thing that he did, he's uh, the inventor of the modern fire department. Yeah. Uh, but a little, this which is was also a, a racket. It was a racket. So what he would do is 
the if fire would break out. And in Rome, old Rome was a largely wooden city. A fire is a big deal. So a fire would break out. His fire brigade would show up. And then they would just shake you down for money. And if you couldn't pay, they would just let your shit burn down. And also, yeah. uh, while never proven, it's thought that they also liked to set those fires to begin with. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> um, he got super rich. But he invented the fire department, yeah. which is pretty cool. Yeah, um, he also famously bought his way <coughs> into a... Um, uh, a generalship and led an army in uh parthia uh, right parthia yeah and just i mean like and had like far and away like the better position yeah and got his shit stomped in by the parthians yeah uh just like completely annihilated like, yeah he had no a, idea what he was a, doing yeah i think it was like almost to a man if i remember correctly yeah was, did he lose did he lose an eagle i think yeah he might have Actually, he, he probably multiple. didn't because that might have ended his career. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. That's why I asked because losing an eagle is a big deal. No, I think because they did have to like ransom it back later. Right? Oh, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. I, I feel I don't, like, I don't know. But this this could describe any battle. This would be <laughs> a great time to have like a paid intern who could look that shit up for us yeah, while if Percy, we're going. Yeah, if, if Percy would get off his ass and finally start doing some work I around know. here. I know. Um, um, but. But yeah, no. Anyway, yeah, no. He just he bought his way into a generalship because he was so pit, like piss mad that Pompey and Caesar were you know getting like these like all of these like accolades for you know conquering oh, much weaker foes that he was like yeah I'm gonna go fucking conquer a bunch of Parthian shit and just absolutely got wrecked. Yeah, well, he also did fuck up too because fighting the Parthians is a lot different than fighting Gauls. Like it's yeah, fighting in the desert. <laughs> well, that, but also you are fighting like a far more yeah. organized, technologically advanced, and like yeah, objectively like powerful Mediterranean power. Yeah. yeah. So like that's it's also just different in that way. <laughs> You're fighting yeah. like you know more of an equal foe. Yeah. Um, but I digress. So anyway. yeah. So Pompey and Crassus are the Crassus, consuls. This you year. are today's goose. <laughs> <laughs> You've been voted our goose. Honk yeah, first. Yeah, goose. goose of the day at left on red. If you got a problem with Canada gooses, you got a problem with me. I suggest you let that marinate. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so while these two guys would not have been actively like attempting to impede Caesar's progress in Gaul and his successes, because they want him to do well, um, they would absolutely be maneuvering to try to keep themselves in the limelight as much as possible and to keep Caesar in check just enough to kind of preserve the balance yeah. of power as it, as it stands, sort of in their favor. So this dynamic and the fact that Caesar and, and Crassus, I'm sorry, that Pompey and Crassus are in charge now in Rome for the year, uh, it's going to go on to spark some of the most compelling drama in human history in a few years. Uh, but for now, I just want you to keep in mind that uh, having Pompey and Crassus in charge in Rome is sort of a mixed bag for Caesar. It's not like, a, oh yeah, my best friends are in charge, like I don't have to do anything. Like On the contrary, he, he almost has to like flex nuts, especially hard in 55. Yeah. So with that in mind, he's going to just do a bunch of stunts uh, that are just basically literally designed to keep his name in the papers or whatever being read in the public square as much as possible. Yeah. Um, they don't have papers yet. That's just not a thing. Paper exists, but they don't have newspapers. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They don't have the the New York Times. No, man. No, they don't have Talk the Washington Post. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Democracy dies in die darkness. <laughs> They're in Rome. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so Caesar designs, uh, to do not one, but two cool little missions that no other Roman general has ever attempted. Uh, the yep. goal here with both of these things in 55 is not true conquest, but he, like I said, he's just sort of flexing for the haters back home. He wants to make sure people are still paying yeah. attention to him. 
So first, he's going to cross the Rhine, the Rhine River, which is the traditional boundary between Rome, Roman Gaul, and Germania, and he's going to do some fighting against Germans. Now, that is spooky. Uh, we talked last time about how Germans always scared the Romans more than the Gauls, uh, and generally speaking, that's for good reason. Uh, their lands are more yeah. remote, they're harder to get to, it's harder to get supplies there, and they're also just fucking wilder people. Um, yeah. Now, there's also like a lot of mixing between Gallic and Germanic cultures, especially along this border, but the Romans defined like a harsh boundary at the Rhine. So we're just speaking in Caesar's terms. Um, Then he's going to gear up and he's going to cross the English Channel and he's going to make landfall on the mysterious island of Britannia, home of the naked naked blue blue dudes. Yeah. He's going to go to Pandora. He is. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. That movie was awesome. Yeah. I've heard a lot of people tell me they thought it was boring, and I think if you thought that was boring, you're boring. Yeah. I have never in my life been more mad at, at like, a movie than I was when the fucking humans were wailing the Tolkien. I was, like, shaking with anger as oh, they were man. just, like, fucking putting harpoons in them and shit. I, I was, know. like, fucking ready to jump into the screen. Are you sure you didn't feel, like, a small sense of, like, uh, pride because it was mirroring the actions of your own ancestors? Famously, the uh, the poachers of the sea. No, that didn't like stir anything in you. Didn't make your mustache there, twitch. Yeah, there was no. Nope, there was. Didn't no make primal. you long for like a salted cod soup and uh, the heft <laughs> well, of a cod's harpoon. Not, cod's not whale. The heft of yeah, but you would eat it to get your strength up to go out and kill a whale. Yeah, but uh, I can do that without killing the whale. Okay. Well, anyway. Uh, yeah, there was no generational. Uh, well, we're about to hear about how my ancestors were badass. Um, so I just wanted to point out that yours you actually know no, because yours whales. were from the the shitty upper area that like the Romans went up to and they're like, "No, we're just gonna build a wall." Yeah, because they were too <laughs> scary. No, they were just like, "This is a bad area. Too and scary, we don't want those dude. freaks coming down." Because they were too scary, dude. Yeah, yeah, you're all just I'm, fucking. There's tossing no way logs I'm from those people <laughs> tossing logs around and fucking sheep. Yeah, maybe.
Okay, so first we're going to jump over and we're going to talk about uh, the invasion of Germania, because that's what he does first. Um, and it was maybe maybe the more impressive of the two to the Romans? I don't know. So as was usual, his pretext for his invasion of Germania is fairly simple. Um, do you guys remember, do you remember talking about the Swaby last week? And then you talked about how the Swaby maybe went to Not Portugal last week, but yeah. Last episode. I'm going to say last yeah. week a lot, guys. What I mean is episode 72. Sorry. It's just how Closer it's to a month ago. I don't know ago. why. Yeah, closer to a month ago. Um, well, when they had moved into Gaul a few years prior, they had displaced not only Gallic tribes, but Germanic tribes as well. Uh, remember, they're, they're, they're pretty kind of, it's hard to tell, really, genetically, like if there's any actual difference. Uh, so two yeah. of these tribes, the Usipetes and the Tencteri, who Caesar identifies as Germans, though other sources the, call them Celts. The Uzi um, Peets? Yeah, yeah, the Uzi <laughs> Peets. Um, yeah, yeah, this is my buddy Uzi Pete. <laughs> They may have been Celts. It's it just, who knows. Um, they had earlier appealed to Caesar for the right to settle peacefully in Gaul. And Caesar had denied this because he didn't want any Germans moving in because he's afraid of them. Yeah. Uh, well, under pressure from the Swebi, who Caesar takes care to remind us were, like, super brutal, uh, just so we don't forget how cool he is for eventually going in and defeating them, uh, the Usipetes and the Tencteri had decided to move into Gaul anyway, into the lands of the Menapii. Uh, in fact, a conquered Gallic tribe ostensibly under Caesar's protection as proconsul of Gaul. Uh, yeah. I'm going to read a quick description of the Swabi from the commentarii here. Um, sure. Just to give you guys a better idea of the way Caesar talks about these folks. The Swabi are by far the greatest and most aggressive of all the German peoples. It is said Hell that they yeah. possess a hundred villages, from each of which they take a thousand armed men every year for waging war outside their own territory. The men who have remained at home support both themselves and those who are abroad. Then the following year they take their turn under arms while the others stay at home. In this way, both agriculture and the theory and practice of warfare continue without interruption. There is, however, no private or individual land holding among them, nor is it permissible to remain dwelling in one place for more than a year. They consume little corn. Now, note, uh, in this translation, they, they talk about corn all the time and refer to that just like as like a catch-all for grain or food or whatever. Um, corn yeah. is obviously from the Americas, and the Romans did not have it. So, um, yeah. you know, but whatever. In this translation by uh, Carolyn Hammond, uh, yeah, that's she says the, corn a lot. I don't that's know. The, uh, the Cambridge one? Uh, yeah, I want to say Oxford. Oxford, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but for the Oxford most part, classics. <clears throat> but for the most part, live off milk and cattle, and spend much of their time hunting. This activity, together with their diet, daily exercise, and the freedom of their way of life, from childhood they are unaccustomed to duty or discipline, and so do nothing whatsoever against their will. Uh, nourishes <laughs> their strength and produces men of enormous physical stature. They have, moreover, trained themselves by constant practice, so that however cold the region, they wear no other clothing than skins, which are so small that most of the body is left uncovered, and they bathe in the rivers. They do allow uh, traders access, but rather with a view to having buyers for their spoils of war than because they want anything imported. Furthermore, the Germans do not import for their use the kind of pack horse which the Gauls so delight in and pay high prices for. They take their own native animals, which are deformed and ugly, and by training them every day, <laughs> make them capable of extreme hard work. During cavalry battles, they often jump down from their mounts and fight on foot, for they have trained their horses to remain on the same spot and then quickly retreat to them in time of need. According to their standards, there is nothing more disgraceful or feeble than using saddles, and so, however few they may be, they will boldly move up to attack any number of cavalrymen on saddled mounts. They forbid the import of wine altogether, believing that it makes men weak and womanish in their capacity for exertion. Uh, 
then he goes on. I mean, there's so much here. Like, I want to keep reading it, but he just talks yeah. about how they consider it uh, important to have big tracts of land and whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And how they're like impossible to civilize. She but had whatever. ample tracts of <laughs> land. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so, uh, so yeah, that's like a little look from the commentary at the Swaby specifically, and the Germans in particular. So these two tribes, the Usipetes and the Tenkteri, they move into Gaul anyway, and Caesar claims that he fears the uh, instability that this is going to incite. He describes the inherent treachery of the Gauls and their willingness to invite outsiders in to kind of stir up trouble against good, strong Roman order. So he decides, you know, in in the best interest of everyone to fly post-haste to the region to deal with these upstarts. So he sends uh, first a 5,000-strong Gallic auxiliary force to deal with the meager 800 men that these, quote, invaders could muster. And surprisingly, the, Gal- the Gallic auxiliaries get smacked pretty good by the, uh, the Celts, or these Germans, whatever you want to call them. Um, you see why Caesar likes brutal, brutal odds. He loves to outnumber these guys because a lot of the times they're, they're pretty tough and they're good yeah. at fighting because they do a lot of it. He's sending those Gallic pussies to get their asses handed to well, them. Well, so that's by the other thing. He does a that a lot. A bunch of swaby, swaby men. The Romans love using auxiliaries, which are generally non-Roman citizens. They're generally at this yeah. point, Caesar's using a lot of his defeated foes. He sort of presses them into service, and then sends them in as like shock troops to just like soften the enemy lines. And he doesn't really care how many of them die. It doesn't really matter to him. So he just it's yeah. it, it kind of kills two birds for him. He like weakens them militarily and also prevents casualties for his own his own troops. Yeah. Um, makes sense tactically, but is also like really, really brutal and fucked up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so Caesar does what any good Roman would do. He takes his full force down into the unguarded enemy camps while this battle is taking place, and he fucking massacres everyone. Uh, he claims that he kills oh. four hundred and thirty thousand people, which you know we talked about this last time is is likely a huge fabrication. But what is clear, yeah. um, although not in the commentarii is that he did clearly commit acts so atrocious that there begin to be rumblings from senators back home about prosecuting him for war crimes once his proconsular immunity is gone. So he's got this sort of unprecedented long-term as proconsul, and he's going to exceed it. I mean, he ends up being in Gaul for like eight years or something. Um, <clears throat> but um, when you are a consul or a proconsul, you are uh, immune to prosecution. You can't be tried in court for crimes, um, regardless of what they are. But as soon as that's gone... Uh, Romans are some of the most litigious people in the world. They sort of invented. They they, they kind of came up with uh, the legal system in the way that we think of it, um, definitely building off the Greeks and stuff. But they had a very, as close to a modern sense of what it was to be, you know, brought up on charges as, as, as anyone at this point. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so Caesar would obviously have heard about this, and he must have suspected that things like this were being talked about. Um, as fear of prosecution is ultimately going to be a major influence on his decision to invade the city and seize dictatorial power down the line, which we're not going to talk about, so it's okay to kind of spoil that. Yeah. Caesar's going to become... In case you are unaware, yeah, he's he going to do of, that. Uh, marches on the city and takes power. He and, does. Uh, he things never go back. Rubicon. Yeah, yeah, he changes history. I mean, that's, you know, that's why we've heard of him. You hear people talk about him being the first emperor. I think Evan and I both agree that it's more more appropriate to say Augustus is the first emperor, but yeah, he because the title emperor. of emperor doesn't really exist, I guess you can sort of make the argument, you know, whatever, yeah. but... Um, he certainly held imperium. He did, yeah. Um, well, he was imperator, <laughs> but not, not princeps. Yeah. 
There are also some really obvious, like, modern foils to this scenario that I think are kind of funny. Like, just the idea of, like, well, (laughs) I kind of have to seize power, otherwise I'm fucked. And um, I think that there are some some modern politicians that are kind of grappling with that very conundrum right now. Although how fucked they are remains to be seen, because in this country, yeah. You'll never be fucked. It doesn't happen. Once you get to senator or above, you're you're free for the rest of your life. Free forever. Yeah. To do as you please. Um, well, that was pretty much true in Rome, too. Actually, less true than it is here because senators loved offing each other and, like, getting each other executed and shit. So, yeah. Um, Honestly, I would, too, dude. Yeah, it would be sweet. If, so, if some, like, little pissant fucking optimate tries to step to you on the floor, dude, yeah, I'm definitely having some thugs <laughs> go to his house and beat the shit out of him. Yeah, dude. With, like, clubs. Just absolutely, like, emasculate his child in front of him and fucking, like, just, yeah, yeah really just end his line forever. Well, leave the kid alone, Bob. No, no, no. I guess that's gonna? so. That's what I would be. I would be the the big the big boss, and not you. Yeah. Cause I don't leave. I don't leave anybody alone. <laughs> you, you would you would leave the kids alive, but emasculate them. I don't know, man. I I don't actually have like a game plan for being like. Yeah, a Roman, your child will be my eunuch house, Carl. <laughs> Roman political <laughs> boss. Um, <laughs> All right, so Caesar then decides that even though he's just fucking decimated these tribes for their transgressions, uh, it's not really their fault since it was clearly the Swaby, the Germans, who forced them here in the first place. Uh, This magnanimity may have been a little late, but hey, I guess fair is fair. So Caesar did what no general before him had ever dared to do. He set his men to work building makeshift bridges across the Rhine River, and then he crossed them into spooky Swaby territory. I know, I know, very, lots of daring do here. Then, in an unprecedented display of heroism, uh, Caesar engages in a blitz campaign of looting and raiding inside the fringe of Swaby territory. Uh, He spends about 18 days running around fucking shit up against just, like, civilians, and then he speeds back across the bridges and burns them before the Swaby could gather enough men to mount a meaningful counterattack. He's mischievous at best. Uh, um, So sweet. Caesar had successfully invaded Germania, and uh, Caesar. he brought a, a Roman army across the Rhine undefeated, <laughs> a.k.a. just, like, ran over there, burned some shit, and came back. I was like, ha ah. Yeah, played grab ass <laughs> and yeah, just basically. <laughs> came back. Basically. Yeah. Um, so now for part two of his publicity tour, Caesar has to head north and west to the English Channel. Uh, and this is going to be a little bit more... I think this is a little more impressive, even though the Romans knew more about the Germans and were maybe more scared of them. To me, this seems like a little crazier in hindsight, with the benefit of yeah. Hindsight. I tell uh, all I picture is that uh, the uh, you know the 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 Wojak, which is like the um, supposed to be like a Roman Briton, yeah, and he's got like the big cone head, and he's like talking about Jupiter or some at, you know what I'm saying? You don't like it? You can find uh, you know where the thatched archway is? That guy? No. You know this one. You might have sent it to me. I don't know, man. But sent you, sent me, you sent me a lot of shit. <laughs> yeah, I'll send it to you again. But okay. I just, I just picture like a bunch of those fucking blue cone-headed do uh, like dumbasses just standing at the top of the cliffs as the Romans come up there. Yeah, just running around naked with their cocks painted blue. Yeah, I mean, and that is pretty much what happens. Yeah, um, <laughs> they, which yeah, we'll they just, literally we'll make note in of the, the fact when they get there, they see a bunch of just dudes painted blue standing at the top of the cliffs just mm-hmm. looking at them yep and they're like what the fuck yeah so yeah let's hear about when that happens uh oh. so 
last episode we talked about how Caesar had gone up to Belgica and down to Aquitania. Um, these are the sort of coastal regions of Gaul. He had noticed that despite being hemmed in by his legions from the land, uh, many of his Gallic foes had received intel, supplies, occasionally military support from their allies across the English Channel. Uh, Romans knew vaguely of the island of Britannia, which is modern England, Wales, and Scotland, uh, and it seemed, seemed clear that the people there, if not exactly Gauls themselves, were definitely Celts of some sort, and they shared bonds of trade and occasionally kinship with their mainland cousins. Now, the support they sent to the mainland tribes had never been enough to cause Caesar any actual difficulty, and the strategic import of the island was dubious at best. Uh, but like I said, this year is all about that good, sweet, sweet PR boost, baby. Um, So Caesar decided that uh, he's going to toss a quick fleet together. He actually literally just kind of cobbles it together. And he takes an expeditionary force over to Britannia to see what the fuss is all about. Uh, Now, by the time Caesar was planning this expedition, it's already fairly late in the campaigning season. Um, And I I was realizing as I wrote this, I'm not positive that this is something Evan and I have explicitly discussed on this show. Um, But just to sort of make note, in, in the ancient and classical world, particularly in regions where the winter months brought inclement weather, specifically Europe and northern and western Europe, Um, And the bulks of armies were comprised of citizen soldiers. Warfare had a a season. Um, Generally speaking, this is the span of time after planting in spring, when the weather is good, through until about harvest time, when weather is likely to turn bad. And then also, in most places where soldiers are citizen soldiers, they have to go home and do this. They have to plant and whatever. Um, And I see what you just sent me. that. I'll read it in a second. (laughs) Now, the Romans had eliminated half of this problem by instituting a full-time professional army so they don't have farms to worry about or families or whatever. Uh, But the Gauls and the Germans and mostly everyone else still have to concern themselves with this cycle. And so you might be saying, wasn't this good for Caesar? If his armies were busy farming, if his enemies were busy farming, couldn't he just like sweep through them and kill them? Well, the thing is, the further into the continent he pushed and the closer to the Atlantic coast, the more the weather became the issue. Um, the Romans are from the relatively warm, mild region around the Mediterranean. Um, they fought in fucking skirts and sandals. You know what I mean? Uh, cool. And that wouldn't be the case forever, but right now it, it was. And winter warfare killed morale. So Caesar would generally return to the home front during the, uh, quote, off season. Um, It's also important to kind of backtrack and explain how he knows so well, like what's going on in Rome, how news of his exploits are being so well known in the city. Um, He's not just marching through Gaul nonstop for eight years. He makes annual expeditions back to Italy, returns to Rome, has forward camps that are in Gaul, but like, you know, inside friendly territory. He's not just like out marching around. So it's like half the year he's doing that or less sometimes than the other half. He's like back doing other shit. Um, so you just found this, what is it, the Wojak? It's not the one I was looking for, but I sent you two pretty good ones. (laughs) (laughs) Those are pretty funny. Yeah, you should find a way to incorporate those into, uh, the episode image this week. Oh, yeah, I absolutely will, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, the, the, like, (laughs) the the fucking Roman Britain Wojaks fucking kill me. Oh, my God. (laughs) I can't can't even adequately describe these to to the (laughs) listeners, so we'll just have to, I mean, you guys can look them up, but... Just Otherwise, imagine those we'll dudes. To, we'll just have to. <laughs> There's a fucking nipple rings. <laughs> the head. All right. Yeah, that's hysterical. Um, so so anyway. Look at that fucking first guy. I know. <laughs> I know. Okay. So it's August, and um, it's kind of an insane time to plan a rushed invasion to a totally unknown island. Uh, but Caesar's going to do it because, again, it's not really about taking Britannia. Oh, it's just about doing something cool and saying he did it. 
So in August, uh, on August 23rd, 55 BCE, Caesar crosses the English Channel um, and he tries to land in modern Kent, uh, but finding a massed force of Britons on the shore, uh, which Evan loves describing. I wrote that here because, and then he <laughs> couldn't help it. Before we even did this, he did it anyway. He talked about yeah. this so many times. Uh, they sail up river and they land near modern Pegwell Bay. Um, now, so to picture it, as again, as Evan loves to do, this is the same coastline where the famous white cliffs of Dover are found. So yeah. picture those wild, like white, <laughs> sheer chalk cliffs lined with freaky blue men yelling weird shit at you. <laughs> yeah, just um, like buck fucking naked. Yeah. Just running around. So the Britons uh, followed him up the coast. They could see that he was trying to find a good place to land, and they just followed him. And they were waiting for him with a fairly massive force, including war chariots. Uh, which at this point are not really common anywhere else in the world. They were definitely yeah. in more ancient times, like in Egypt and, and the Middle East and whatever. Um, but in Britain, they're still really prevalent. Um, <clears throat> but they're also actually really intimidating and effective, especially you know kind of because they're outdated. So the Romans aren't used to encountering them. So they yeah. have this sort of you know shock and awe effect when they, they charge at you. So Caesar's men are obviously a little anxious to disembark when they see this. I mean, it's kind of a, a frightening sight to see all these naked weirdos. Um, and Caesar in the book kind of chalks this up more to logistical issues. The boats aren't heavy enough to get in close enough to land. So the guys have to jump out still in the water and then they have to wade ashore and it's like a whole big thing. Um, but realistically they're probably also just like afraid, which he doesn't like. Yeah, they're like, dude, what the fuck did, where the fuck did we just sail to? (laughs) (laughs) What are we doing here again? This isn't even, this is, what is this? These Uh, blue freaks are running out of the mist at us. Yeah. Um, so eventually, in order to spur the men into action, the eagle bearer of the 10th Legion, which is like their standard bearer, um, they would carry this big gold eagle on a pole. Uh, he jumps out of his ship and begins wading towards the beach, and he shouts, Jump down, soldiers, unless you want to betray our eagle to the enemy. I at least shall have done my duty to the Republic and my commander. Um, you know, Caesar probably pushed him out, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this is a big deal. It, it shocks everybody into action because losing an eagle, uh, as we sort of talked about at the start of the episode, it's the absolute worst shame that a Roman legion could endure. And the penalties for incurring such a heavy loss uh, could be really brutal. I mean, a legion could be decimated for this. Uh, they would often and, just sort of be, like, forever shamed. Um, many yeah, I mean, later... the Romans, they would have to pay, like, big fucking... Like, this would be, like, a major point in, like peace negotiations and shit mm-hmm. like treat like like you know what i mean like treaties they would like pay a lot of money and shit <laughs> like they to would get like give up back, a lot yeah. to get these fucking things back yeah it was a big deal so. they really cared about this it was it was the ultimate symbol of like the power of a given legion yeah uh and so many roman military expeditions throughout history were actually undertaken purely or partially to recover <laughs> stolen or lost eagles um it's so yeah it's it's, it's a big deal yeah. um and so it's actually, it's pretty funny to see how Caesar kind of dances around the ensuing engagements and this, this first in, invasion or whatever you want to call it of Britannia. Um, yeah. So there's obviously there's total disarray upon disembarking. And by all accounts, the defending force is pretty large and well-equipped. And so Caesar, um, he basically admits to the uncertainty of his men and, and his position. Um, he describes like a couple of skirmishes after which he sort of makes a tactical retreat. Um, but then he kind of tacks on like, and oh, but by the way, the enemy were defeated. He never really explains how he won. And it seems pretty unlikely that he did have this like big resounding victory. I mean, he might've had like a small little victory in a skirmish or something, but, um, it just doesn't really make sense. And it's, uh, I liken it in my notes to the Goldberg win streak back in the WCW days. You remember that? 
Yeah. When he like hadn't been defeated for like 200 straight matches or something. And obviously yeah. that's not true. They were just making that number up. But it doesn't really fucking matter because we're all aboard this hype train and, yeah. and there's no stopping. So whatever. Caesar says he went and he won. Uh, and we've got no choice but Fuck to it, believe he won. Him. Yeah. Who else are we going to listen to? There's no other book on this shit. Yeah. It's not, it's not like the naked blue brutes <laughs> were fucking writing shit down, no, dude. they weren't. Um, so Caesar describes how the Britons send peace envoys and all the leaders of Britannia... Uh, come to commit the, their fealty to him and, and whatever. And 18 days after landing, he decides, after having wrapped this up nicely, he's going to pack up and head home, which feels a little convenient. Um, but, I mean, again, we we kind of have to take his word for it. What's interesting is that, despite claiming to have neatly handled a quick two-week conquest of Britain, uh, <laughs> Caesar heads home and then immediately starts planning a second invasion, which wouldn't yeah. really make sense unless you hadn't initially unless succeeded. Unless you your ass had to retreat. Yeah, right. But whatever. Um, it's late in the season, and it's getting cold. Caesar has to leave um, campaign, so he heads back to Italy. And then he actually makes note of like visiting Illyricum to put down some raids by these no- neighboring tribes. And uh, I just wanted to point out that he is also proconsul of Illyricum. Um, comes up like twice in this entire book. He doesn't give a shit. He's just collecting taxes and like letting that place yeah. fucking <laughs> go to seed. He like doesn't give a shit. <laughs> yeah. It's all about Gaul, baby. Um so anyway, 55 BCE closes out, winter rolls through, 54 CE dawn, BCE dawns, and uh, Caesar is ready to go back out and fuck up some Britons for real this time. In 54 BCE, Caesar put together uh, a true invasion force. Um, he learned his lesson. He had a fleet of new, bigger, heavier ships built over the winter, which could accommodate his cavalry uh, and a greater host of men. Um, I might have skipped. Did I say that he didn't bring his cavalry? I'm not sure. Yeah, I wrote it, and I might have just skipped it because I don't remember saying it. But just in case I didn't mention it, uh, part of the issue with the last... been looking for Wojaks. <laughs> that might have been it. The Wojaks might have distracted me. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, part of the issue last time, just in case I didn't mention it, and then I can just edit it if I did, is that uh, the boats were too small, and he couldn't get horses on them. So he invaded couldn't last time without cavalry. Mounted. Yeah, they had they had chariots and shit. Um, <clears throat> Wait, was the tenth mounted a thing at this point, or is that after? I don't remember. Shit goes down. There, the there are so remember. many 
details about like commanders and tribal Gallic leaders and shit like in this yeah. book. I did not write so many of them down. I mean, I still this is yeah. a twenty page episode. I had to cut so much minutia. This book is all minutia. Like yeah. the 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 quote unquote good parts of this book, like the action scenes. This book could be one eighth as long as it is. It's it's yeah. just listing like who was who and why they were important and who they were married to and who took oh, yeah. who hostage and. You can read the book if you want that, or you yeah. can just have me read it for you and listen to this episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Well, then anyway, I guess for the listeners, the Tenth Mounted is uh, kind of like one of the famous uh, Roman legions. They're the Tenth Legion, but they got kind of jokingly nicknamed the Tenth Mounted because they had to take to cav- uh, take to horseback. I forget for exactly what reason. I'm not sure what it was, but the entire legion, or you know, uh, you know, most of it, you know, the way the Romans. Uh, say things had to like take the horseback and from then on they were always called the 10th mounted legion even when on foot yeah and legions were always on foot they're always yeah, heavy they're infantry yeah. like romans leave horseback fighting to less auxiliaries. they let yeah. they let gauls do that and shit even though obviously like later people will realize that cavalry is like integral to warfare the romans thought it was for pussies like archery yeah. it's for the pussies. byzantines would learn <laughs> yeah yeah. yeah once the romans uh transitioned to the byzantines you know and they had the uh cataphracts yeah but um, so this time Caesar takes 2,000 cavalry auxiliaries, five legions, uh, a bunch of cohorts of, of infantry auxiliaries, and gets ready to depart. Um, and he also calls to muster several Gallic tribes uh, to help him. Um, the idea here, according to Caesar, is to bring a few Gallic leaders along who he found particularly troublesome and to kind of throw them and their men at the Britons and essentially condemn them to death, which I mentioned he did earlier. Um, he actually had to march around and force a few of these guys to comply because they knew what was trying to happen. And he was like, well, sorry, like you're fucking coming. Um, the main example he gives, uh, is this guy named Dumnerix. Uh, I believe we mentioned him in part one, but Dumnerix was a leader of the Aedui who had basically just been a pain in Caesar's ass for years. Uh, he was alternately like a sniveling lackey when Caesar was there, but he was also a schemer and he tried to like leverage like, oh, Caesar said I could actually be in charge of all the Aedui and the other Aedui chieftains were like, what? And, like, what Caesar actually about? said you all have to suck my dick. Yeah, he actually said that like I'm in charge now. So like you guys have oh. to like, all your girls have to take their titties out. Like I just, yeah. it's not because I <laughs> even want to see titties? them. It's just because Caesar said. Um, Listen, so, <laughs> guys, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to make a play on your girl. It's just Caesar said they have to dump them out. So what do you mean, out. Caesar? I'm sorry, I didn't even do nothing. I didn't even <laughs> do anything. Where are you mad? I didn't even do anything. Well, Caesar, I didn't do it. I swear. Oh. So that's basically how Caesar describes him. I mean, he goes yeah. to great lengths to kind of talk about his like pleas to not go. And Dominic is like, I'm afraid of water. I don't know anything about Britain. I wouldn't be any use to you there. And yeah. finally, he's just like, I'm not going. I'm not fucking going. Um, yeah. So Caesar just like attacks him outright, and he captures and he kills Dominic, and he takes the Aedui's men and presses them into service. Which I guess that's, is a, that's actually pretty. He funny. didn't want to have him. to kill him; he wanted to like send him over and have him die. So he's he like, "Fine, I'll do it myself." Well, because he was worried about, it, and rightly so. Like Caesar was pretty savvy, and he was like, "If I just like execute this guy in front of all his men, they're gonna hate me and rebel against me." But yeah. if I like send them and he dies in glorious battle, whatever, and what, what it's just easier that way. But this yeah. guy, he was like, this dude sucks so bad, and he just fucking kills him, and he takes yeah, his. Like, I can't even listen to this fucking. Um, asshole and apparently, anymore. and to the Romans, this must have sounded hysterical. Dumnerix kept yeah. protesting as he was dragged to the to the executioner's block. That he no, was a free okay, man okay, and, a, and a, a citizen of a free state, uh, yeah. which I mean, of course he was. But the Romans were like, nah, dog, like. We yeah. all know that that's changing. <laughs> that's, that yeah, ain't going to be true. One free for... thing here, my man, and that's your head from the rest of your body. <laughs> that, that ain't going to be true for too long, my man. Yeah. Um, so Caesar heads to Britain, and this time the Britons were not waiting. Um, so he's able to land. Mm-hmm. He sets up a camp. He establishes a beachhead, and he's ready to go. 
and he sets out to find where the Britons were assembling their forces. Um, he endures a bunch of, like, guerrilla skirmishes along the way on his march, uh, and he eventually learns that the British forces have been united under a man named Cassivellaunus, king of the Catuvellani. You've probably heard of Cassivellaunus. Yeah. Uh, that name comes up in the history of Britain a lot. I think we talked about him. Did we talk about him in your history of the kings of Britain? The name I feel like we must have. I mean, the name the name is right now, you know, I'm picturing the neurons going off, and it, it seems to have a very large chunk somewhere in there. Yeah. You know, Cassivellaunus. Yeah, I know I've heard it. it he so comes up. I... Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think. I'm almost positive. Yeah, he comes up in the part when the Romans come to Britain and they talk about Castellanus. Yeah, I don't know. Listen back, guys. I'm not gonna tell us if we're right. Uh, <laughs> I can actually check really quickly right now. Oh, you can check your own notes. That's right. You wrote that one. Yep. Let me check. Um, so yeah, his- keep going. I'll let you know. Okay. His lands abutted uh, a little river known as the Thames, which you may have heard of. Uh, And so Caesar sets out that way looking for a decisive pitched battle to win and make his claims from the previous year seem a little less shaky. Uh, obviously people back home can't just like go to Britain and prove that he was fucking wrong, but for his own sake, he wants to, you did mention it. Yes. Okay. Uh, the line passed to Castle Volantis, who treats his nephews well with large tracts of land. There you go. Little uncle magic there. Yeah, his nephews were the son of the previous king, Lude. <clears throat> True uncle magic there. It would be Cassivellaunus that led the defense of the island from Julius Caesar. There you go. There go. I knew I knew it. I knew it. Yeah. I knew we'd talked about him. I, dude, I just loved the, the large tracks. Yeah. Thing is there, too. <laughs> um, Nice little synchronicity. All right. <laughs> so at this point, uh, Caesar gives a pretty fun description of Britain and the Britons. Uh, so I'm going to do another little quick reading from the book. Yeah. Um, okay. The inland regions of Britain are inhabited by people whom the Britons themselves claim, according to oral tradition, are indigenous. Now, he's separating the coastal inhabitants, those he sort of considers as closer related to Gauls, and the people inland are native Britons, whatever that means. Uh, The coastal areas belong to people who once crossed from Belgium in search of booty and war. Almost all of these inhabitants are called by the same national names Mm, as those of the states the original came from. After waging war, they remained in Britain and began to farm the land. Population density is high, and their dwellings are extremely numerous and very like those of the Gauls. They have large herds of cattle. They use either bronze or gold coinage or, instead of currency, iron rods of a fixed weight. Tin is found in the Midland regions, iron along the coast, but only in small quantities. Their bronze is imported. Timber of all kinds is found, as in Gaul, except for beech and silver fir. They consider it wrong to eat hare, chicken, or goose, but still they look after them for pleasure and amusement. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I bet you they oh, do look after funny them for pleasure. There, eh? <laughs> look at the way he walks. <laughs> the climate is more temperate than in Gaul, and the winters are milder. The island is triangular in shape. One side faces Gaul, and one corner of this side is in Kent, where almost all ships from Gaul put into harbor. This corner looks east, the other south. The side stretches for about 460 miles. The second side looks towards Spain and the west. In this direction lies Ireland, which is thought to be half the size of Britain. The crossing from Britain to Ireland is the same as that from Gaul to Britain. Midway lies an island called Mona. There are several. Uh, there are thought it's to be several Isle smaller islands be- uh, besides lying nearby, and several writers have recorded that over the winter solstice there is continual darkness there for 30 days. 
We were unable to find out the truth of this by inquiries, except that by accurate measurements with a water clock, we observed that the nights were shorter than in mainland Gaul. According to the belief of the Britons, this side is some 640 miles long. The The third side looks north and faces no other land, but it is mainly angled towards Germany. It is thought to be about 730 miles long. Thus, the whole island is nearly 2,000 miles in circumference. Of all the island's inhabitants, by far the most civilized are those who live in Kent, a region which is entirely coastal. Their way of life is much the same as that of the Gauls. Inland, the people for the most part do not plant corn crops, but live on milk and meat and clothe themselves in animal skins. All the Britons paint themselves with woad, which produces a dark blue color. By this means, they appear more frightening in battle. They have long hair and shave their bodies, all except for the head and upper lip. They like mustaches like you. Groups of 10 or 12 men share their wives in common, particularly between brothers or father and son. Any offspring they they have are held to be the children of him whom the maiden was brought first. So this is just another example. It's like probably not true that the Romans were like, especially, or the the Britons rather, were especially into gangbangs. But uh, to the Romans, any kind of like, sexual freedom or freedom of women was thought to be like exceptionally scandalous because they're like the least progressive people on earth they're like so patriarchal and women are like like it's like gay to like women you know what i mean like yeah no seriously (laughs) hanging out with women is gay dude yeah dude yeah (laughs) so like the romans were just like so dudes rock that like if they saw a woman like have an orgasm they probably would have lost their fucking mind have a look at the fuck's going on here. Yeah. What's going on down there? Now, what lady? is that? Some gay shit? Get that. Get yeah. that. Get get that out of here. We don't get want that. Get that gay pussy out of here, woman. You know what? Uh, this is why I fuck boys. I just. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. um, where where's Publius? <laughs> um. But uh. So what did you say the circumference was? Two thousand miles. Yeah. Well, well. I mean. Well. Obviously, this is coastline, but the coastline is about eleven thousand miles. Yeah. Um. But. <clears throat> Uh, I get. Uh, I bet you if you cut it down, it's actually pretty close. It's yeah, like if you don't account for like the, if you just do like as the crow flies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um it's a, it's actually surprising how, considering that they had never really been there too much before. Yeah, it's really surprising like how they also accurate. didn't have maps like like we know. Yeah. Like they had maps, but it was not based on like it was totally just based on sight and like yeah. So it's it's pretty crazy that they were so accurate that they're like yeah Ireland yeah. It's probably about half the size of Great Britain. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, there's the little Isle of Man right in between. And, uh, I mean, they got the basic shape of Great Britain down as yep. well, you know. It is a triangle, so, kind of. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. You know. Um, so, yeah. good. Jo- hey, good job, Roman cartographers. Yeah. I'm, I'm assuming they owe a lot of that to the Phoenicians. But, you yeah. know, what are we going to do? Yeah. Uh, so Caesar ends up drawing Cassivellaunus into a pitched battle, and he assaults his stronghold. And though he describes fierce fighting and mentions the ferocity of the charioteers, he ultimately triumphs and extracts genuine promises of fealty and tribute from a large number of British tribes. Yeah, uh, it couldn't have happened. Fingers were crossed, though. Hmm. Fingers were crossed, though. They didn't even really have to be, because like yeah. nobody plans on like going to Britain and administering this shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. That doesn't happen until way later. Britain yeah. does get like officially and it, and it, and conquered, not even but for that long. Like, no, it doesn't really couple, take that long. couple hundred years. Sometimes to be like, what the fuck are we doing here? Yeah. Um, it couldn't have happened quickly enough though, because Caesar shortly receives word that there's major unrest back in Gaul, and so having extracted promises of grain and cattle, because you know, as he sort of describes, the Britons don't really have much else of value. There's no silver or anything like that. This is a, a, a pure propaganda campaign, uh, yeah. and leaving Britain at least nominally under Roman sovereignty. He disembarks and heads back to the mainland to, you guessed it, 
fight some more Gauls. That's like uh, uh, his whole shit. Yeah, can we take a brief break so I can grab another shelter? Yeah. Thank you. Sandwich. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why are you staring at me like that? What do you have? A sub sandwich? <laughs> no, I uh, grab some wafers. Wafers? What are you gonna sit here and fucking munch on wafers? Up mute. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Evan's got wafers, folks. So yeah, don't worry about yeah. him going hungry. Cause my yeah, boy nope, brought himself a little snack. From All right. ASMR for you, uh, for you fine folks. I would love a wafer, but I I would, I would give you half of these through the screen if I could. I know you would. You're 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 a generous man. You Thank would share you. your wafers. I know you would. These are pineapple ones. Oh, that's interesting. I also have mandarin and strawberry. <laughs> I mean, I, I would try them. Uh, uh, strawberry. I know my would cat be good. really wants some. Dude, the way my cat is staring at me right now, like I give can me just some see wafers. his eyes from. Yeah, I can just see his eyes from under my desk, and he's just like, this look like, are you fucking seriously eating that right in front of me without giving me any? <laughs> How dare you, sir? How dare you? Yeah. All right. You ready? Mm-hmm. You actually, and I can't really even hear the wafers, so. They're okay. pretty, they're pretty, pretty whisper soft. So. All right. Did uh, you hear that? So let's, let's get back to Gaul, where there's signs of unrest. 
So 54 BCE was a tough year on the continent. Uh, harsh weather had led to a bad harvest, and Caesar, while campaigning in Britain, had had to spread his men back in Gaul a little thinner than normal to ensure that each of the tribes contributed enough grain to meet the demands of Rome. Now, that was the big thing that they exacted in tribute. Not only silver where they could, whatever resources, but grain's a big thing. The main reason they're, they're conquering is because they just want to feed people back home. They have these armies that aren't farmers. They're not producing anything. So they need mm-hmm. to uh, feed people. You know what I mean? No. And they just have to keep Folks getting land eat. to give to the legions as their pension, things like that. And they can't just go out and buy some of these fine wafers um, from the folks. Exactly. Yeah, that wasn't an option. Going out and buying pineapple and mandarin wafers, yeah. they didn't exist yet. Uh, so they the particular now, area of unrest in Gaul is in Belgica, where a tribe called the Eburones, led by a man named Ambiorix, was growing especially unruly. Uh, the men in charge of the Eburones in Caesar's absence were called uh, Lucius Oron. How did I? I got this down Oronculeus. earlier. Oronculeus Cotta and Quintus Titurius Sabinus. Uh, I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna go out there and say Oronculeus is like one of the coolest like Roman uh, nomens yeah. I've ever heard. Well, because that's what they would have called him too. Like Oronculeus yeah, would have been, would have been his, his his like the name that you called him, which yeah. is insane. So that's just what you call me, man. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And their legion, the 14th, which was newly mustered, so therefore relatively unexperienced. Uh, Caesar claims that the strength of Ambiorix's forces was roughly equal to that of the garrison. And so when Roman foraging parties began to be attacked, the situation was immediately dire. Ambiorix pressed an attack and shocked the Romans into a parlay, during which he claimed that a large and angry group of Germans, kin to the defeated Ariovistus, who you might remember from... uh, episode 72 uh, was headed to reinforce his men and that if the Romans did not abandon their fort soon they would be overrun. So he's using the, uh, the old there's angry Germans coming trick, which works on the Romans uh, at least this one time. It's super clever. Uh, The Romans have no way of knowing whether or not this is true. Uh, And the Eburones themselves are not known to be a particularly strong tribe. So he's bluffing. Uh, A fight breaks out among the Roman leadership with Cotta arguing that the men should wait it out. They're, behind fortifications they have plenty of supplies caesar would be back soon uh and honestly that makes a lot of sense but sabinus who's according to caesar a huge pussy he wants to run (laughs) he's like he's like the germans are coming we gotta get the fuck out of here so mbrx promised them he said hey if you guys leave i'll give you safe passage you can can get out of here uh and to some of the romans this seemed preferable Mm-hmm. So Koda, who finally gets outnumbered, has to give in and say, fine, have it your way, you fucking coward. And so the Romans scramble to grab their shit and leave the fort. Uh, long story short, Ambiorix lied. Uh, there were no Germans coming, but he also wasn't going to give them safe passage. As soon as they were out, he fucking smashes them and then sets about trying to raise a general revolt in the region. I mean, that's what happens when you go against uh, a guy named Arunculeus and side with a dude whose name starts with Tit. Yeah. Titorius. Mm-hmm. So Caesar obviously has to step in. He has to fucking mark this Ambiorix asshole. So homunculus. Ambiorix had moved to the territory of the Nervii, a neighboring tribe, and attempted to pull the same bluff. Angry Germans coming, better run. Uh, but the garrison commander won Quintus Tullius Cicero, who's the younger brother of the famous Cicero, uh, saw through the bluff and prepares for the siege. On the seventh day of the siege the gauls managed to set fire to cicero's camp and certain of victory they use improvised siege towers caesar mentions multiple times how the gauls got really good even just in the span of this like campaign in gaul at conquer uh copying roman siege techniques and techniques in general and so he actually goes out of his way to kind of compliment like their intelligence and their ingenuity and whatever even as he's like calling them barbarians that need to be conquered he's like uh, well aware that they're like 
actually like a fairly like industrious. Well, and maybe these people. barbarians have something to teach us. Yeah, <laughs> maybe we too could learn from their way of life. Um, let's kill them and find out. Yeah, let's see what's inside those pretty skulls of theirs. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so they have siege towers and they begin to besiege the position. Uh, they finally get in, they assault, and fierce fighting ensues, uh, during which time we meet two friends that you may be familiar with if you've seen HBO's series Rome, which uh, Evan and I re- reference pretty frequently. It's also one of the better like action scenes, so I'm going to read another passage here because this is a pretty good one. I've read this one. Good. In this legion, meaning the legion of Cicero, There were two centurions, both men of great courage and close to reaching senior rank. Their names were Titus Pullo and Lucius Varinus. And those are like the two main characters of Rome, if you've ever seen that. Yeah, those are real guys. Yeah, they were real guys. (laughs) Uh, Well, supposedly. He also could have made them up as like a narrative tool. You know what I mean? But probably didn't. I mean, for all intents and purposes, may as well call them real. Yeah. Uh, There was always a dispute going on between them as to which had precedence over the other. And every year... They clashed in a fierce rivalry over the most important posts. While the fighting at the defenses was at its height, Pullo shouted, Why are you hesitating, Varinus? What chance are you waiting for of winning praise for your bravery? This day will decide the contest between us. With these words, he made his way outside the defenses and launched an attack where the enemy ranks were densest. Nor indeed did Varinus remain within the rampart, but followed his rival for fear of what men would think of him. Then Pullo cast his spear against the enemy at close range and transfixed a Gaul who had run forward from the ranks. He was knocked senseless, so they covered him with their shields and altogether threw their weapons at Pullo, giving him no opportunity to withdraw. Pullo's shield was pierced and a dart was stuck in his sword belt. This knocked his sheath and hindered his attempt to draw his sword. While he was in difficulties, the enemy surrounded him. To the rescue came Varinus, his rival, who helped him out of trouble. Straight away, the Gauls turned their attention from Pullo to Varinus, thinking the former had been killed by the dart. While his sword, with his sword, Varinus fought at close quarters. He killed one man and drove the rest off a short way. But he pressed forward too eagerly, tripped, and fell into a hollow. Now he was surrounded, and Pullo came to his aid. They killed several Gauls, and both returned safely within the defenses to great acclaim. Thus, fortune played with them both in their rivalry and struggle, so that despite their enmity, each helped and saved the other, and it was impossible to decide which should be considered the braver of the two. Just a cool little story. Yeah. Um, So I'm going to cut this part kind of short, because we have a lot more ground to cover, and there's not going to be a part four, because I'm not doing that anymore. So (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, no more last-minute announcements that the show is going to be extended. We're we're ending this today. Um, So basically... The series, not the show. The series, not the show. Um, so basically, Cicero, nice Pullo, try, Varinus. Cameron. What? Nice try. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Almost snuck that, snuck that in there. Mm-hmm. So basically, Cicero, Pullo, <laughs> Varinus, et al. briefly hold their ground until Caesar, having received a messenger from Cicero, uh, arrives and smashes the besiegers. Uh, he then did what he does best. He went around picking off individual tribes that had no- nominally allied to Ambiorix. And so for the remainder of the Gallic campaigns, uh, he's going in, to enact uh, repeated sorties into Belgica, where um, he's basically just going to like decimate every tribe that was even loosely tied to this entire debacle. Because you don't cross Julius Caesar. He's a mean, he's a mean fucking dude when he has to be. He's a mean dude with a weirdly shaped <clears throat> head. 
And Bjork himself and his closest co-conspirators were actually never apprehended, much to Caesar's chagrin, and uh, reportedly they slipped across the Rhine and vanished from history. Who's to say? Uh, but this whole event marked an important shift, though, because uh, it sort of shows that Gaul and her peoples were not going to just sort of lay down for Caesar and let him steamroll them for the rest of this war, um, which had sort of been the trend for the first at least half of these campaigns. Um, you know, now there's going to be some some pushback against Julius Caesar. It should be noted that uh, in contrast to his later enmity with the elder Cicero, Cicer Caesar fucking loves Quintus Cicero from here on out. Um, he's one of the few people that gets like really high personal praise from Caesar other than himself because no. this book is obviously not about making anyone else famous. Um, no. The siege of his fort apparently claimed roughly 90% of Cicero's forces before Caesar got there and he still did not surrender. Uh, so Caesar had special love for him and his men for the rest of the campaign and he sings their praises throughout the rest of the commentarii. Um, interestingly, you know who doesn't really come up that much is Mark Antony. Yeah, I know. He's yeah. he's just like not really in it. He comes up towards the end, and I mentioned him once in this episode, but like he's yeah, just I not. Think, really I think in Mark Antony more cut his teeth in the uh, the Greek campaigns during the Civil War. Yeah, he he's so he takes part in the Gallic campaigns, but he's not. Yeah. That's not what makes him famous. Yeah, I think he also <coughs> pretty famously uh, kind of um, played up his role with Caesar. You yeah, know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Like he was, uh, he was related to Caesar, and um, and obviously was one of his uh, one of his generals. But I think like really after the fact, he really uh, kind of, I think maybe had an inflated sense, yeah, of his big position, time. big time. Which you know, more power to him. If it works, it works. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he got he to he got to bang close. one of the most famous freaks in history. So yeah, yeah. Watch, well, you know, maybe I mean a lot of guys did, but. Well, yeah, that's how she, more, uh, practice makes it, perfect. She, I think she was more famous for sucking dudes off, though. Actually, right? Is that a thing? Did she? Yeah. Did she, what, did she, what was? Uh, she I forget who said it, but uh, she had like maybe some kind of nickname or something like that. That basically translated to um, "she who gapes wide for a thousand men." Interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, mean I can't remember exactly where I read. Again, that, like I said, I practice makes perfect. No slut shaming on left on red. Yeah. No. I mean, yeah, she sucked her way to the top. So. Mm-hmm. She was sucking it and fucking like a freak. Fell as far as you can. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So the the trend here is that unrest in Gaul is is growing rapidly. Yeah. Um, so Caesar actually campaigns through the winter from 54 into 53 BCE. And I know we just talked about how they rarely do that. And that was partly to illustrate how odd this is and how, like, strange it was that he just didn't withdraw for the winter and he kept pressing the Gauls because he's really, really worried and angry at the fact that these these people dared to like rise up. Like, after I already he had conquered you. Right. Why do I have to conquer them. you again? Um, and he starts like brutally so fifty three is is gonna be a fucked up year. It's basically just gonna be like him just doubling down and like absolutely demolishing as many people as he can. Um <clears throat> Ambiorix's revolt revolt uh had been far and away the largest loss of Roman life to date since Caesar had begun this little pet project, and nearly an entire legion had been lost. So he needs more men. Uh, so he raises one new legion, and this is kind of funny, I thought. He reaches out to his pal Pompey and borrows one of his. It's <laughs> just like, you, I guess you could just do that. Um, you, uh, so he brings his, the legion? Come on, man. You got like, you got like a couple, couple, you know, like 8,000 men I can borrow? So he brings his manpower back up to something like 50,000 people. And he gets to work showing these barbarians that he means fucking business. No more Mr. Nice Guy Julius Caesar. It's all about shock and awe in 53. You should probably put in a little, no more Mr. Nice Guy here. What do you mean? 
Megadeth. Hello, me. me Meet the real, real me. <laughs> Dude, have you ever seen the? So I, I, I know you know that I'm a big Alice in Chains fan, but yeah, have you ever seen the video of Lane Staley making fun of Dave Mustaine? <laughs> no, it's super quick. It's from some like MTV thing. They had played some concert together, and this dude's interviewing somebody else in Alice in Chains, and he's like, oh, and like, and Lane has something to say, and he holds the, the thing over to Lane, and Lane just goes, watch him become a god. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, I don't know. It was just really funny. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah um, for as awesome as Dave Mustaine's guitar playing is, he was... <laughs> I don't know. Like Sometimes. I like his vocals, but they're they're so cheesy. Sometimes, they're so fucking sometimes weird. it is. But then, like sometimes it's like he leans into the mustanity of it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. He, Dave like, Mustaine he is the most Dave like, totally Mustaine. Fine, guy. But yeah, then he has songs the way he goes. Watch him become again. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, Megadeth rules though. Like I I I still like Megadeth. I mean, there's a reason that my by far by far my favorite Metallica album is Kill 'Em All. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> So 53 is all about shock and awe. Uh, Caesar burns villages. He lets his men loose on civilians. They rape and pillage. Uh, and he, of course, continues to justify this with his usual deft diplomatic approach. But to the Gauls on the ground, it's it's pretty clear that there's no there's no dignity or, or honor or decency to any of this. It's just wanton slaughter. Um, yeah. He crushes the Senones and the Menapii tribes, utilizing tactics generally spurned by the Romans, like surprise attacks and guerrilla warfare and faint retreats, sabotage, all kinds of shit. He's, it's just he's fighting dirty at this point. Um, and he caught wind that Germanic tribes had made alliances with several Gallic tribes, so he actually briefly crosses back over into Germania and, and burns a bunch more villages over there. Uh, but he doesn't stick around because he's still afraid of the Suebi, so he comes back <laughs> um, and he keeps that short. Caesar basically demolishes northern Gaul in 53. Like, everything Belgica, Armorica, North, it's, it's fucking, it's toast. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and while he had always been brutal, this is nothing like anyone had ever seen. And while his goal had been total pacification, and he leaves garrisons behind to ensure that, you know, nobody in these regions rises up again, um, the utter ferocity of this terror campaign, campaign ends up having sort of the opposite effect. And Gauls in the center and south and west of Gaul... Um, begin to realize that their very existence is now threatened. It's not just like, you know, oh, he wants us to pay tribute. Like, things are starting to get, like, really, really real. So it's time to, to toss their hats in the ring and, like, actually rise up. It's a little late in the game for this, but people are starting to realize, like, oh, shit, like, we're about to be extinct if we don't do something about this. So the last straw is when in 53, at the end of 53, Caesar announces that in lieu of their ungrateful and malicious revolts, uh, Gaul and her peoples would no longer be treated as sort of like independent tributary states, but are going to begin to be administered as a full Roman province. So that meant that any previous allusions to continued political or religious or cultural autonomy had had been malarkey. And uh, people started to worry specifically about their religious freedoms. Um, and apparently their their religious heartland is sort of the land between uh, the Loire and the Seine river valleys. And the Druids meet there annually to, you know, discuss mystical things. And, yeah, uh, the, the funny part about that is that would, would be the last thing that you would ever need to worry about as a person conquered by Rome. Well, <laughs> I would disagree. I would say that it's actually probably a legitimate concern given the ferocity of things and... 
if if Caesar felt that you know their religious practices were promoting open rebellion. I mean, we see that later in Judea. One of the few examples where the Romans were not religiously tolerant is well, when well, it's be, people well, refused to... Let me finish my thought. Is when okay, people yeah. refused to put Rome before their religious practices. They were fine and no. well with syncretism as long as it didn't infringe upon, you know, their tribute or their, you know, willingness to uh, uh, give fealty to the emperor, things like that. But yeah. religious tolerance wasn't necessarily like something that they valued so much as it was something that they didn't bother with you know what i mean yeah no god god was above rome for for the jews which is why yeah. that happened but i mean you know you would see no problem after this of you know druidic or celtic religions being incorporated into the roman empire so that kind of means that yes that they shouldn't have been worried about that y yeah but i'm just saying i can understand why like at the time i mean yeah you can say well, that's why i said the but... funny thing is that that would actually probably should have been one of the things that they worried about the least well, fair enough <laughs> yeah that's no, fa fair enough as history we come on to show sure to show. <clears throat> um yeah if they had just all bent the knee he probably wouldn't have cared no um so in times like this people need strong leadership and if a large enough coalition is going to form to give the romans pause uh it's going to need like a truly legendary figure to lead it Luckily, the most famous Gallic king of all time just happened to be available, even if he wasn't famous. He's a yet. free agent. He's a free agent. He's in between. He's in between yeah, he's jobs about to right sign now. Sign a max contract. <laughs> um, and that's right, baby. It's Vercingetorix time.
So I've always said his name Vercingetorix because that's how my seventh grade history teacher, Mr. Charette, said it, which is sort of a weird combination of the Latin and the French pronunciation. So like no. in French, French, it's like Vercingetorix. In French, Vercingetorix. <laughs> So yeah. that's how he always actually said Vercingetorix. That's how he called him. Um, but oh, the, Z? the Latin, he would be Vercingetorix. Uh, um, yeah. So I don't know. I'm going to say Vercingetorix. Well, I mean, I anglicized it Latin, it would still be Vercingetorix. Yeah. So I think that's how I'm just going to say it. I just that's how I, Vercingetorix is how I end up saying it. Uh, yeah, so, everybody knows him as Vercingetorix. So. He's pretty famous. Yeah. Uh, so in, he was in 52 BCE. He's 30 years old. And he's the newly minted leader of the Arverni tribe, uh, centered on the Oppidum of Gergovia. Now, an Oppidum is just the Latin term for Celtic, like, hill forts and the t- surrounding towns or cities. Um, that was obviously a Latin word. Um, so through this, I call them Oppidum and hill forts. It's the same mm-hmm. thing. Um, having just seized control of the tribe from his uncle, uh, who feared opposing Rome and worried the young Vercingetorix would get the Arverni tangled up in a war... He sets out to form a coalition to oppose the Romans and to get the Arverni tangled up in a war. Um, And, you know, maybe save Gaul in the process. So Caesar had returned to Rome following his terror campaign in 53 BCE uh, to deal with the unrest and rioting that erupted in the city after the death of the populist agitator Publius Clodius Pulcher, which is, he's really interesting. And we could do a whole episode on the populists. And uh, what were the two brothers also? There's Pulcher and there's the two brothers that everybody fucking hated. Whatever, it doesn't matter. Like what, like way earlier? They were the yeah. Who, who I'm talking the Gracchi? About, yeah, the Gracchi. You're talking about the Gracchi? That was like yeah. that was like I know that seventy was like, years before. That was this like though. seventy years earlier, but like there's a trend, yeah. and I think that the the rise yeah. of the populists is just an interesting. Yeah, the Gracchi were kind of like proto populists because I think the Gracchi brothers really heavily informed Pulker and his whole his whole vibe. And then yeah. actually, I mean, the triumvirate too. And Polker had a really interesting relationship to the triumvirate yeah. that started really positive and towards the end was really bad. And they might have helped have him killed. Anyway, we're not going to go yeah. into it well, here. We're already well over an hour, but it's. it's yeah, and history it's an repeating episode. itself. Yeah, and history repeating itself, I guess, just to tie this into some of the other episodes that we've done. Uh, the Gracchi uh, tried to institute land reform. And generally speaking, that's a good way to get yourself killed throughout history. So. Yeah, that shit's too commie. Yeah. Rich folks want they land. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so Vercingetorix sees the opportunity of Caesar's absence to send out word to all of his neighbors that the time is now to unite and strike at the Romans. And uh, folks mm-hmm. did flock to him. Not everybody, but a lot of folks did sort of flock to him. And he ends up putting together a pretty big fighting force. And honestly, modern estimates say that he probably, at, at, at his height, had about 80,000 fighting men at his disposal, which is actually a really big army. Like, Caesar likes to claim that pretty much every army he fights is that big, and they're not. They just couldn't be. But Vercingetorix likely had a pretty massive fucking fighting force that could actually have given Caesar a real run for their money. And they do, very briefly, for like nine months. And that this is the biggest rebellion ever against Caesar. <laughs> it's like less than one year of the campaign. But I digress. Yeah. So picture like the the Mel Gibson William Wallace narrative from Braveheart, um, which is actually kind of stylistically more themed on this period than on the actual like way that Scottish people would have looked and dressed and acted. Um, and you kind of have the basic idea. Uh, Vercingetorix was really ruthless though, and he quip- yeah. quickly whipped his growing army into shape. So whenever somebody pledged loyalty to him, he would 
take their men and then he would force them to give him like hostages like their sons or whatever and he would hold them hostage and be like okay no going back on our deal now and he would like force people to stay allied to him yeah because he realizes like it's kind of now or now or never and it, so he's he's a pretty brutal figure i because, do the same thing in crusader kings yep yeah you have to <laughs> <Yeah>. um <clears throat> and then you eat their children because you have the cannibal trait <laughs> <laughs> I ransom children a lot. I don't keep them. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Get fucking Make rich. Big money. Fuck, dude. Dude, it's so funny. Just I got so good at those, Crusader those Kings. Like babies. the amount of time I spent playing it. Like at first, that game seemed so like just beyond me. And yeah, but then yeah, you learn how to gank shit. I dude, I'm I I fucking crush Crusader Kings now. <laughs> that game fucking yeah. rules. I have so many hours in Crusader Kings. <laughs> I have about a thousand between the two. Yeah, I'm way. Low. I never played two, but I have a lot in Crusader Kings three. I probably have. I mean, I I, mu- I must have over a hundred at least. I must. And to me, three? that's a lot of hours. Yeah. I would guess you have like five hundred. Five hundred. Check right now. Yeah. You want? No. How do I check? I can't boot the game up while I'm doing this. That's like. No, you'll have to do that. Just check Steam. Steam. Steam logged your hours. Uh, I not know this. No, but like You're I don't know. I, you know I don't know how to work computers, man. Steam just displays right, Steam, it. Steam, library, Crusader it Kings 3. Right oh, yeah, f- phone, 551 hours. Ooh! Damn. Hell yeah! Damn, <laughs> <dude>. <laughs> Look at that Damn, shit, bro. <laughs> How many do you have? 142. I have 550 that's, hours in Crusader just Kings? That's three, though. Check uh, of two, I have way more. Yeah, I don't have... I might even have... I might have, like, one in... Oh, I have six minutes of playtime in Crusader Kings 2. Yeah, so and I have 142 have, in Crusader Kings 3. You have 797. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm about 900 hours, yeah. But the, the great Actually, thing yeah, is, you know... I'm 40. The great thing What's is that? that they keep adding shit, you know? Yeah. Oh, dude, so, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's fucking... I've unlocked almost half of the... of the Well, like 40%, uh, 41% of the achievements. There's still a lot that I have to do. Yeah. Yeah, so, I, don't, I don't have that many. I have like a quarter. A good-ass game, dude. It's so good. I told you, man. I was telling you for years, bro. I, I was trying to get anybody else to play this. Because I was like, you don't understand. This game is like a fucking time vampire, dude. Like, you'll just sit there and start playing. Oh, yeah. And you're Last like, winter, especially, I, I... Yeah, you're like, dude, it was morning when I started, and it's dark out now. I, pl- I spent a couple days playing this game. Yeah. yeah. Like, days where I didn't have work or anything. And was yeah, just, like, just depressed all and drinking winter, a lot. Yeah. I played this game all day. I, I haven't well, see, played. I, I most I of those like 500 hours are, like, before. Those are, like, I I probably have, like, 20 hours in the last six months. But <laughs> Yeah, see, I, I never really like uh, I never really like playing Crusader Kings while drinking because you just make tactical errors. I get really mad. So I always have a rule, like, I have to, like, stop at two drinks. If I was drinking while doing Crusader Kings and, like, kind of sober up a bit before having another. No, I don't no rules for computer. me. I don't want the computer. If, to have if, any if Genghis advantage. Khan could conquer half the known world while drinking, I can do it. He had a killing crescent. I do not. Yeah. Anyway, um, I don't. I don't have uh, fermented horse milk to make me strong. Irag. I just have fermented cat milk. <laughs> I milk Sancho. You milk your boy cat. <laughs> All right. Uh, 
So let's go. Let's Caesar describes Vercingetorix as uh, a man with abilities, quote, second to none, which is pretty high praise from a guy who huffs his own farts as intensely as Caesar. Uh, yeah. Vercingetorix immediately begins a guerrilla campaign against the Romans, and Caesar has to rush back to Gaul to deal with it. Uh, the Gallic leader was smart. He avoided a pitched battle. Uh, he realized the vital importance of Roman supply chains, and so instead of trying to meet them head on or conquer <laughs> forts, he just starts like picking away at uh, foraging parties, raiding supply chains, uh, and then he also uh, famously engages in one of the first known like scorched earth campaigns against his own countryside. So he would rather burn Gallic towns and fields that he passed than let the Romans have them. And this might seem harsh. I mean, he's a sense he's hurting his own people, um, but he intends to starve the Roman legions and get them nice and weak so that when he finally attacks them, uh, they're they're easy to beat. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> eventually, he makes camp near the city of Avaricum. And when Caesar heard, hears of this, uh, he makes for the city, assuming that Vercingetorix will be harbored there. But the Gallic king actually fled before their arrival. The Romans don't realize this, and they end up spending 25 days besieging the city, finally storming it. And then in their frustration, because it sucks besieging a city for 25 days, they massacre almost the entire population. Yeah, the only thing lamer than getting besieged for 25 days is besieging for 25 days. Yeah. And then they uh, realize he's not there. He'd actually retreated back to his home in the hill fort of Gergovia. And Caesar rushes to catch him, uh, abandoning his baggage train and some of his men in his haste to catch up to him, which is a mistake. One of the the biggest tactical errors that Caesar makes in this entire campaign. Uh, Gergovia was situated on a high plateau overlooking the countryside, and it was super defensible. And while Caesar's men began to besiege it, he quickly realized that without a direct assault, Vercingetorix would quickly starve him out. So they plan a night assault, which was disrupted when some of the Romans' Gallic allies betrayed them and fighting broke out beneath the, the hill fort. Vercingetorix, awakened by the sound of fighting, quickly musters his men, and he personally leads a glorious Gandalf at Helm's Deep-style cavalry charge down into the Roman ranks, and he fucking smashes them. Massive W for the Gauls. Everyone's happy. Vercingetorix is riding high. This hasn't happened in the, in the span of this entire thing. There have been very few victories. Mm. Um, Caesar frames this as more of a tactical retreat, but this is the closest you get to him admitting that he just got smoked. So he pulls away, and Vercingetorix, his ranks swelling with new recruits after this stunning victory, begins his pursuit. Um, and this is actually one of the only times we really kind of see Caesar on the run. Um, so Vercingetorix, he takes his cavalry, which is the large bulk of his forces, in pursuit. And he, uh, he fights Caesar in a pitched battle at Vingian. Uh, and he gets fucking beat pretty bad <laughs> um mm-hmm. and this shouldn't be unexpected to us but it was to vercingetorix he felt that he had proven um himself to be caesar's superior at gergovia um but that was a pretty tough call to make because in a pitched battle a roman legion of the late republican period is is pretty unstoppable um yeah and a surprise cavalry charge downhill into like a force that's already in a fight is a lot different than like a set conflict on an open field which is just like what the romans do better than anybody on earth at this point yeah your ass is about to get <clears throat> testudoed yeah they, they well they did he actually talks about that he talks about <laughs> the tortoise formation and all that shit and they 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 mop up the gauls pretty good in this fight but some yeah. people claim that this was tactical because vercingetorix then withdraws to the n- nearby hill fort of alesia or elysia which is a really heavily mm-hmm. fo- uh, fortified oppidum um of the neighboring uh, i forget what tribe and i didn't write it here but whatever alesia yeah. uh, his plan was to allow caesar to begin besieging the city and then to have reinforcements arrive and they would trap the romans in a pincer attack 
Um, but when the Romans arrived, he was stunned to realize, because he has not yet been subjected to the full force of a Roman siege. When when Caesar was uh, attacking Gergovia, remember, he left his baggage trains behind. Yeah, he, he didn't have his headed. full forces. Now he's oh. he's got everything. He's regrouped. He's got all of his guys. And he's going to sit and do a full-scale Roman siege, which is a pretty intricate and miraculous and horrifying thing to, to perceive. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so... Very quickly, Caesar has surrounded the entire city in a series of moats, a series of barricades, spike pits, uh, spiked walls, really just everything you can possibly imagine to prevent the people in the city from leaving. They've sort of chopped every tree down in the surrounding area, and they've hemmed the entire city of Elysia in with this, you know, siege works. And they're setting to work building um, siege weapons and... uh, uh, ladders and towers, and they're going to storm the city uh, after they've stopped. And I, I would imagine by cutting down all the trees and stuff like that, you get a really good view of how fucked you are in that city. You do. Like you you're like see. the Romans are just showing you all the things that they're about to do to you. Yep. And all you can do is sit there and go, mm, fuck. This is going <laughs> to be nasty. Yeah. Um, this will <clears throat> be a bad, a bad year. <laughs> uh, so things feel a little more urgent than his original plan he called for. Um and so this is where Vercingetorix meets his downfall and where Caesar really lives up to his reputation. So we talked at the yeah. start of the episode, Evan mentioned Crassus buying his way into command and just getting smacked by the Parthians. Now, Julius Caesar, we talk a lot in this series about, you know, how he likes a slam dunk, how he doesn't like, you know, uh, even odds, things like that. And that's all true, right? That being said, he actually is a tactical genius. And you'll see yeah. a lot more of that when he just completely dominates a series of wars against other Romans who have the same technology and the same tactics yeah, and yeah, the same and equipment. Just, like, and he goes up lose. against the other greatest general on earth and he just fucking mops the floor with them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, you know, he's fighting Greeks, he's fighting in Egypt. Like, Julius Caesar actually is... He is yeah. that guy. Like, so while this campaign is him, like, you know, it's like watching, you know, Michael Jordan play a bunch of high school kids. Uh, yeah. He could also, like, go the distance, and he will show that. And I think I would like to, at some point, do more episodes about the Roman Civil War. Um, oh, yeah. But that might be something that you and I tackle together, because that would be a really cool thing to, like, both do. Yeah. But, but um, yeah, you're about to see Julius Caesar eventually get checkmated, and then fucking somehow pull out a w you mean right here yeah that's what i'm saying yeah well so that's the thing this is like the first time that you're gonna see like julius caesar get put in like a pretty fucked up situation and still just like pull out like a pretty stunning dub so like like, just like a like like shocking move that like yeah yeah. it's literally just like like nobody would ever think like you have to be your back against the fucking wall to think Let's build another one. Yeah, right. So that's what he does. <laughs> yeah. I, so Vercingetorix did send for reinforcements as planned. And so Caesar realizes this. He knows that there's enemies coming from behind him, even as he has to sit here and siege the city. So he does what Evan was just sort of alluding to, which is fucking nuts, but proved to be yeah. like a brilliant tactical move. He builds a second set of fucking siege <laughs> entrapments around himself facing outward. So yeah. he's not only built walls around the city, he's also now built walls and ditches and spike pits around the outside of his army facing outward. So he's yeah. literally trapped himself between two siege embankments. Yeah. And he's just sandwiched in. So he's now preparing himself to fight siege warfare on two fronts he is sieging a city and then besieging himself by another army right yeah 
so it's it's crazy. It's a wildly bold move. Um, he could end up trapped and starved and and in lose, and two then walls. we would remember this as the folly of Julius Caesar. Yeah. Instead, this has gone down in history as like one of the most brilliant tactical decisions of all time because it works spectacularly. So yeah. Um, as this is all unfolding, uh, Vercingetorix is realizing he's got eighty thousand men fighting men inside Elysia on top of a civilian population of men, women, children, whatever. And <clears throat> I've mentioned before that Vercingetorix, as you know, a product of his time, is a pretty hard man and is yeah. willing to make tough calls to try to get Caesar out of Gaul, which, frankly, probably the right thing to do. Um, mm-hmm. And so realizing that he can't last nearly as long with all these you know, civilian mouths to feed, uh, he pulls one of the most famous moves of this entire war and definitely this battle. He's obviously yeah. heard of Roman civility, um, <laughs> quote-unquote, and so he expels the entire civilian population, basically anyone who can't hold a sword, from Elysia. And his hope is that the Romans will pity them and take them into their camp. Um, so he'll save his people, and then the Romans will be expending their supply chain and their food um, to, to keep these people alive out of pity. And whatever. So he'll weaken the Romans, and he won't have to feed these people. And mm-hmm. I don't think he was prepared for Caesar to see them and be like, what? No, nah, no fucking way. Let them starve. Which yeah. is exactly what Caesar I'm not here says. to feed Gauls. Yeah, I'm here I'm to, here to dominate them. them. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. So, yeah, Caesar basically sees this and he goes, that's a weird thing you just did. Oh, well. And uh, so yeah. now Vercingetorix has to sit in his city and listen to the wails and cries of anguish of starving women and children, knowing that he has just condemned them to die a horrible death and also that his own people are still slowly starving within the walls. And Caesar's just watching like, yeah, tough call, man. I... I I wouldn't have done that, but don't know why you, know, you did that. Versus don't know why you did that. I'm, I know feed. I know yeah. feed. I've got okay. food for for the Roman. Yeah, yeah. I know feed. <laughs> I don't feed. Okay. Hey, what kind of guy are you, Arverson Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I see Arverson do that. Yeah. Hey, what kind of guy are you? Are? Oh, you like that? Huh? You like listening? To How come you are nude? Die? Yeah. I am a businessman. I travel siege. frequently and often. <laughs> yeah. This is a public siege. Um, <laughs> so meanwhile, Caesar has his own concerns, namely that once reinforcements arrive, he's going to have to basically act immediately because his own supplies are limited and he's also cut off his own escape route by yeah. fortifying himself in. Uh, no, those reinforcements eventually do arrive. Um, and at this point, um, luckily for Caesar, uh, Vercingetorix has basically run out of food. And so they signal the reinforcements and they just attack. They do a pincer attack. They sally forth from the city. And they breach Caesar's defenses externally. And so Caesar's now being attacked on both sides. He does receive reinforcements from Mark Antony and another guy yep. named Gaius Trebonius. Marcus uh, Both stationed at nearby forts. And thanks largely to the impressive series of ditches and spike walls and shit that he'd built, he's able to kind of handle both attacks simultaneously. The Gauls are really impeded by having to fill in these ditches before they can cross them. So Caesar's yeah. able to kind of pick them off and spread his men thinner than he normally would because they're so tripped up by this really intricate set of, like, ditches and fences and whatever. Mm-hmm. And so he eventually routes the external attackers first because the Romans are able to secretly sally out from a side port they'd built, and they circle around, and they're about to surround the uh, outside attackers. And so those guys break off and run. 
And then Vercingetorix sees this, realizes that he's not weak, he's not strong enough on his own without the external support. So he retreats back to Elysia. And then basically over the next couple of days, this just happens over and over again until the, the Romans just tire them out and they get to the point where the Gauls are so demoralized and so defeated and realize that they just actually are like so brutally outclassed in this situation that they just fucking give up. They have no food. <laughs> All their women and children are starving and dying. Uh, and they literally had the best case scenario or so they thought, and Julius Caesar's yeah. still just fucking racking up dubs. And yeah. so they, they quit and, <laughs> and it's really sad. Um, <clears throat> they surrender and Caesar orders them stripped of their arms. He executes a ton of them. He has all their leaders captured, um, including Vercingetorix, uh, who he takes as his personal captive. Um, yeah, I will say he's not a, he's not a very gracious winner here. No, Caesar. No, he, he strips them. Uh, he like forces really him to just like extremely rude. To and this is actually one of the first scenes in the show, Rome, and they did it so well. Yeah. He like makes him like kiss his feet in front of everybody, and like yeah. he really just demoralizes him. He strips him of every bit of like dignity that he could have possibly had, he and turns him into a court jester. Basically. Yeah, basically. Um, and so this is sort of the end of 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 Vercingetorix. Uh, he's emaciated. He's starved. He's dirty. He's just condemned a bunch of his own people to die, and then he's still fucking lost. And um. Now he's a slave, and uh, and unfortunately, this is the best that the people of Gaul would ever muster against the Romans. It was um, so Vercingetorix is going to survive the campaign. Um, yeah. He would go on to live as Caesar's disgraced prisoner for about six more years. Yeah, he doesn't until, give him the dignity <clears throat> of death. No, he doesn't. He keeps him around, um, and then basically Caesar goes and has his whole little fun romp and takes power in Rome and beats his enemies. And then when he's finally in charge in Rome, he throws himself four successive triumphs. And in the first one, he celebrates his Gallic campaigns finally. This is six years later. And he uh, parades Vercingetorix through the streets. And then the parade ends at the Temple of Jupiter Optimus Maximus on the Capitoline Hill, where he has uh, uh, Vercingetorix unceremoniously stripped and publicly strangled uh, as a sacrifice to the gods. Um, Imagine how fucking brutal that must have been. Cause yeah. like Strangling's not like in the movies. It takes like minutes. Yeah, and he had him like paraded through the streets where like the people jeered yeah. at him and threw shit at him, and um, and he's just like the and just like like gag uh, like gasping for air and just like his eyes popping out of his head and shit. Yeah, just being uh, strangled right there. But that's I guess what you get. It's uh, life in the ancient world. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, there's, so it uh, it's not it's not quite as brutal as. That uh, I believe we talked about this before, but that story about Augustus in um in the uh, Suetonius's Twelve Caesars, where Augustus like uh somebody had like spoken against him, and he like jumped on top of him and ripped his eyes out of his head with his bare hands. Oh God! Yeah, I don't know <laughs> like, if he did. That's uh, yeah, Augustus the warlord. That was during his warlord days. Yeah, yeah. In yeah, between yeah, yeah. him as the sickly kid and him as the uh, right. austere emperor, he had a period where he was like psychotic, just a fucking total nutcase. Yeah, just with his bare hands, just ripping this dude's eyes out of his head for speaking against him. Yeah, <laughs> we love that. Yeah, we we love like, it, don't uh, we, folks? Like like uncle, like nephew. This senator, he's been very very nasty to Augustus. <laughs> He's been very gross. He's saying mean things. I had to take his eyes out. They had to go. Yeah. We don't. They were looking at me. Looking at me. Um. So, don't fucking look at me. Oh my god. I still sometimes think about that scene and regret it. Like that movie, just huffing the the gas. Yeah, mummy. Um. Yeah. Least so, deranged uh, Lynch film. 
Yeah. You said least? Yeah. I don't know, man. It was a pretty strange movie. I mean, I'm joking. Oh. That would probably be like Wild at Heart or uh, no? He actually made made he actually made a family movie for Disney. So what was but that? I forget what's called. This was in like the mid '90s. Uh, it was like right before Mulholland Drive and before was it Brave Lost Little Highway, Toaster. No, no, it's called uh the fuck. What's it called? I can't remember. Um, I gotta figure this out. Yeah, it was after yeah. The Straight Story. Yeah, the straight story. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah. It's like a family movie. <laughs> I haven't seen it. I haven't even seen Wild at Heart, honestly. I need to watch that. Oh, so it was after Lost Highway, before Mulholland Drive. Yeah, the straight story. Huh. And it's just like a normal... Yeah, I mean, it's literally a Disney movie. Interesting. Yeah. It's about a guy who rides his lawnmower across the country. And then he made Mulholland Drive, and then yeah. Inland Empire. Yeah. wrap this shit up because we're yeah <laughs> okay we're approaching two hours so um so well technically music, the, the gallic two hours well technically the gallic wars lasted through 50 bce uh there were uh, and there are still a few kind of holdout rebellious tribes after the insane win at elysia um the remainder of the campaign isn't really something that like i feel like we need to go deeply into partly because uh the last act of the book is written not by caesar but by aulus hertius and um I don't know. It's just like it's different. It reads differently. And it's also like pretty clearly an epilogue. It kind of feels like a post credit scene. Um, and yeah, really, you know, at Elysia. Yeah, Elysia is like, like definitely the climax of the story. The rest um, is just so, pillow talk. You know, I encourage you guys to look into it if you want. But, you know, we've already gone long enough. And I don't need to, to tack on another 20 minutes to talk about just like after his big win, how he just like went around and like kicked them in the balls a bunch. Um, which is really what it was. I mean, he was just going back around and just back to like how the war started, just like picking people off and separating them and making yeah. it look easy, you know, which it unfortunately kind of was at this point. Um, <clears throat> the fact of the matter is, you know, the rest of the tribes, the bulk of the Gallic tribes at this point are so utterly demoralized and so painfully aware of their military inadequacy in the face of Roman ingenuity and brutality that um, the bulk of uprisings actually just sort of stop. And it's pretty sad, but... Gaul very quickly becomes Romanized, and in a century, the entire landscape of the region, the cultural, religious, political landscapes, um, would kind of hardly be recognizable. 
and yeah. uh, the Gallic languages and religious practices would be sort of supplanted by or integrated into the Latin and the Roman pantheon. Uh, young Gallic boys would join the legions, and many Gal- Gauls would be granted citizenship. Um, the days of the, quote, hairy Gauls are over. Julius Caesar had come, he had seen, and he had conquered. Um, the revolt of Ambiorix and the unification of the tribes under Vercingetorix had simply come too late in the game uh, to make any kind of real difference. And outside of proving, um, of providing Caesar with some useful fodder to kind of pad out his already impressive autobiographical propaganda account, they didn't really do much else. Um, so Gaul had been a useful springboard, uh, but he now has bigger fish to fry. Uh, you see, because there are whispers back at home about Caesar's intent to become king, to march his armies to Rome, to seize power like the Tarquins of old. Enemies in the Senate had risen against him, threatened by his populist policies and his stunningly popular victories in Gaul, and even his old pals in the Triumvirate had begun to act icily towards him in the last few years. Mm -hmm. It seems like in the span of those eight years, everyone in Rome had suddenly decided that Gaius Julius Caesar was a bigger threat to the Republic than Gaul had ever been. And you know what? They might be onto something. That's why we brought civilization to France. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why you have croissants. Yeah. Um, yep. So, yeah, so that's, uh, that is why French wine is so good, though. <laughs> yeah. You know, they did bring wine there before. Yeah, brought some anyway. of that Tuscan shit to, to France. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that's it. That's my... Uh, that's part three of my my series on the Gallic Wars. Thank you guys for bearing with me. I know part one was forever ago, but uh, yep. hopefully between part two and part three, you guys feel vindicated because I know it was a lot of content and uh, we got through mm-hmm. it. Yes. So here we are. Yep. Anything else you want to add? You want to tack on to the end here, um, big guy? I would, uh, I would like to uh, encourage uh, all of our listeners to listen to friend of the pod, Jimmy Fallon Gong's current series with uh, Dr. Wendy Painting author of um the magnum opus uh, or her magnum opus on the um uh oklahoma city bombing it's uh in total it's going to be an 11 part series that uh he recorded the interview in a nine hour and then 11 hour segments uh the two of them podcasted for that long yeah (laughs) yeah i was talking to him today about it and uh he's saying that he don't think he doesn't think that he'll ever be Uh, those records of his for continuous podcasting. I mean, I bet there's a lot of people that will never beat that. Yeah. But, um, so the first five... I'm gonna say it right now. We're never doing that shit. Yeah, no. I mean, the longest we've done is like two and a half, three hours. Yeah, we we went close to three when we talked to... We did almost three when we talked to Jimmy. That was a blast, though. I mean, I... Three hours with with Jimmy is pretty fucking easy. He's a pretty, pretty cool guy to talk to, and he's got... He's so smart. Yeah, um, and then uh, we did um, the uh, JFK episode. That was uh, just long. because uh, Patrick <laughs> was like half an hour late. We ended up podcasting for like close to three hours. Then that's true. Yeah. And then honestly, Aztec three was pretty fucking long. That's yeah, over that two, two, I think, hours. at the end. Yeah. So, um, but uh, yeah, no. So anyway, the series right now, the first five episodes, uh, which I, I believe are the first, just the nine hour air, um, interview part one. Uh, divided into five episodes is out right now uh for premium subscribers and uh i've finished the first four parts of that and it's like the best podcasting i've ever heard uh like the two of them over time he's gotten so good at it it's really like he's 
he's yeah he's just one of the best doing it and yeah. and maintaining like editorial integrity at the same time like yeah you know what i mean for somebody who's kind of basically doing it on his own and doing it on you know whatever the fuck he wants without like sacrificing i mean i don't want to i mean he, he, uh, uh, he, he kind of tongue-in-cheek calls himself the hardest working man in podcasting but it's like pretty true at least from the people yeah yeah uh, he certainly has a capacity for research and um production that's that's yeah unbelievable considering i, I think he's yeah. just a normal guy secretly like yeah. with a job and shit yeah yeah but uh, um yeah uh but uh yeah so he's got that out. and yeah so wendy you know she wrote uh it's called uh, aberration in the heartland of the real the secret lives of timothy mcveigh okay which is pretty much just all about timothy mcveigh she spent like 10 years writing the book it began as her dissertation uh and grew into like the truly massive fucking book i have my copy back there i haven't started it yet but this yeah. is really making me jump at the bit and i have to like hold myself back because i have other episodes to do hell yeah uh, and there's only so many books i can read at once but um it, it's out the first five parts for premium subscribers and then i know i believe it's uh this weekend's he will drop, or maybe early next week. Uh, yeah, early next week he'll drop the um, those five parts for non-premium subscribers. But I mean, it's a uh, very good, some of the best value out there that you can spend, you know, a few bucks a month on. So I would, uh, I would recommend being a premium subscriber. Yeah, and I, I think am. next one of the few people that I subscribe to. Yeah, yeah, know? same. Because since we started doing the show, my uh, ingestion of podcasts has definitely it's diminished, plummeted, and. Um, yeah. He's one of the few that I routinely still yeah. listen to. I haven't heard any of this series yet, but, but oh, you got dude, yeah, I I like uh, he gets my money. Yeah, yeah. When uh, when he dropped that, I just like you know it was pretty nice out on Monday, so I just went for like a long walk around New Bedford, listening to uh, the beginning of it, and I just couldn't stop. So I was like, you know, as I was making dinner, I was listening to it, then sat down to eat dinner. I didn't even like put on TV, nothing, just kept listening to it. Uh, listened to uh, some of it while I was grocery shopping today. Uh, can't really stop listening to it. It's amazing, so I highly recommend you listen to that. Um, Speaking of grocery yeah. shopping, I'm, I need to do a brief aside just to describe to somebody in the world how fucking frustrated I am. So I was finishing this episode today, and I also was doing a bunch of laundry, and I was doing a bunch of stuff. I've yeah. been getting really back into guitar, so I was practicing that, and I was like, you know what? Like, I'm going to indulge in Instacart today. I'm going to have my groceries delivered to just cross one thing off so <laughs> I don't have to Did it go back to the last place I did the last time? No, 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 no. So <laughs> last time I got Instacart, I accidentally had it delivered to a girl's house that I like was no longer talking to and then i had to call her and be like i'm going to get my groceries and then of course it turned into like you know whatever <laughs> yeah you know what happens yep. yeah 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 got sucked back in there for a hot second um got sucked back in and sucked back off <laughs> <laughs> but uh so anyway <laughs> um no so it got delivered to my house but i had ordered an eight ounce bag of carrots i was making a like a bolognese and so i needed to do a mirepoix yeah. and i also use i'll use carrots when i make like my smoothies in the morning and stuff but eight ounces is like good i mean that's gonna be like five or six good sized carrots and i mm -hmm. it's my own fault for not paying attention but when i got my order she had replaced my eight ounce bag with an 80 ounce bag which is what five pounds fuck? of carrots and so now and I, I, I don't even carrots. have room in my fridge for that dog i have so many fucking carrots now and i'm just mad about it so then i called wegmans and i was like way. hey like I ordered through Instacart, but at this point I was just like, well, fuck it. I guess I'm going to the store. Like, I'm just going to return these. I don't yeah. need eight, five pounds of carrots. So I, was, yeah. I called Instacart and I was like, can I, or I called Wegmans. I was like, hey, I got an Instacart order, but I'd like to exchange it because I don't, I don't need this many carrots. And the guy was like, well, yeah. I'll just keep it. They'll just refund you. And I was like, yeah, but you don't understand. Like, 
I got nowhere to I keep really these carrots. Need... They're just going to go bad. And he goes, well, if you bring it to us, we're just going to throw it away here. So, you know, get the refund and yeah, use what you need. Yeah, once it's in your house, you and can't I was like, really, like, what put the it fuck? Like, shelf. I guess so. You're, like, breathing on it and shit. You can't really put it back. I know, but, like, I was... I'm just mad. So now I have all these carrots, and I have some friends that have a farm. I'm going to see if they'll take the carrots, but... If I lived closer, I would take some of them. No, I told my roommates no. to take them, but it's like, how many carrots can you have? Like, the whole the whole house is going to be fucking constipated and and, and have stomach distort. Dis- but you'll distress. have very good night vision, all yeah, of you. I guess so. Anyway, uh, uh, sorry, there's no reason to add that on and make this a two-hour episode officially, but... Yeah, yeah, I, I, got, I, got a, I got an episode of Star Trek Voyager to finish before I go to bed, so... Yeah, I'm going to go play some, uh, some Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Oh, f- fucking baller game dude yeah i've been so the two Is games i'm switch? playing right now i'm playing no uh, i was surprised because that's the kind of game i would rather play on switch i'm playing the old uh 360 port on uh oh. on my on my xbox which um isn't in like a modern aspect ratio yeah. so it's like kind of sucky but whatever yeah. it's fine it's a fun game the music's super good i'm also so i'm playing that and i'm playing donkey kong tropical freeze which i never played okay. before that game one of the best games I've ever played in my life. The music alone in Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze, mm-hmm. it's like I can't even fucking describe how good it is to you. And there are yeah. so many levels where you realize, like, you're like halfway through the level and you realize that, like, the elements of the level are moving to the beat. And, like, yeah. you're, and you're like, fuck, the whole game is part of the. It's all. Uh, dude, yeah. it's unbelievable. And then you'll do a minecart level and you'll want to throw your controller through your fucking yeah, yeah, screen. Yeah, like always, yeah, mine, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I was playing a door, door Fortress. Um, that's a fun game. Uh, is it? But it, has, it hadn't gotten really fucked up for me yet. I put like seven hours into it uh, and nothing like all that crazy happened. I feel like I need to like watch some YouTube videos uh, in order to like kind of better like, you know, just figure out some of the mechanics. But talk about fucking awesome music in a game. The uh, the new Steam version of Dwarf Fortress has amazing music. All right, I'm gonna maybe I'll check that out instead because I saw you send that screenshot. Yeah, if you're into like, it's kind of like a basically. I mean, you're just building up a fortress. So if you're like cool with games like that, but I know I've seen like things like crazy shit happens like right after winter. I was reading a story. Somebody had this huge like vast sprawling like complex. And then, like, some of the dwarves started, like, fighting drunkenly and, like, killing, like, each other and, like, children. And then the Minotaur just comes storming out of the mountains and just, like, eviscerates literally everybody there. And then the game ended. <laughs> wow. And, uh, you know. I'll have to check it out. That sounds really fun. All right. All right. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. All right. All right. Yeah. We love you all dearly. Thank you, as always. Word of mouth. Uh, 2023 is going to be a great year. Please yep. please tell your friends about us. And, um you know, we hope that you all have a fucking killer 2023 and that you had a good 2022. And uh, thanks yep. for hanging around with us. And we'll, uh, I think we're aiming for a sweet spot between our first year's output and our second year's output. I think yep. we want like 10 more episodes, 15 more episodes, something like that. Yep. So hopefully we can keep up with that and uh, you'll hear from us soon. All right. Peace. Bye.